off, just wanted to take a moment and talk about Skunkfest. This year, we actually have two different cities in three weekends. So, if you go to skunkfestatx.com, you'll be able to check out the lineups, the dates, and locations. First on the list is San Antonio, Texas, August 21st at Fitzgerald's. Then, right after that, August 26th and 27th at Come and Take It Live here in Austin, Texas. And then a second weekend here in Austin at Empire Control Room on September 5th. Like I mentioned, if you'd like some more information on the lineup, locations, go to skunkfestatx.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Eclectic Soundtracks Podcast with Skunk and Vic. We've got a real treat on this episode of the podcast. We're joined by Boudreaux Parquita and Adam Salinas to talk about the recent documentary, Bloody and Bruised, The Untold Story of the Backroom. If you're new to Austin, you've probably caught a show at some really cool venues around town, one of those being Emos on East Riverside Drive. But if you've been here for a while, or if you're a true Austin native, then you know about the Backroom, and most likely you have your own story about this place. But do you know the whole story? We had a real blast on this podcast talking with Adam and Boudreaux, uncovering the history of the back room. I've been to a few shows there myself. Also drank a lot of beer there. Skunk has definitely been there and played shows as well. So it was a real treat to sit down and talk about the making of this documentary and what made the back room so special. Hey everybody, we're back. Eclectic Soundtracks, episode 58, we think, uh, with Adam Salinas and Boudreaux, who I'm going to mess up your last name, but par- Partita. Boudreaux Partita, everybody. <laughs> I like to do the white boy intro whenever we have. You sound like, you sound like my economics teacher. <laughs> oh, wow. oh that, well, I, I don't That's like that accent for someone teaching economics. And then you'd go past the Dairy Queen and it's like five bucks. Uh, so... Uh, you guys, I had talked to John Jew about now the, the backroom documentary and I guess all you guys are working together and I've never met you guys that I'm aware of. And, um, so tell me a little bit about each of you and what you're, how you're working, what, uh, in what capacity you're working in on this, on this upcoming documentary. Well, uh, I, I, I'm the director and producer, lead producer on the film. Uh, I, I, I was the one that kind of a while back, I was working on that documentary. Uh, I worked a little bit on the documentary about the Saxon Pub. I don't know if you heard about that one. Mm. That came out a couple years ago. It's called Nothing cool. Stays the Same. Uh, okay. it, was a, it was a great little documentary about the Saxon Pub. And when I was helping out on that one, uh, I kind of thought, man, I'd really like to do a documentary about the back room. You know, I, oh, I yeah. went there for years. And... You know, I loved going there. I lived down the street from it. I used to walk to it, you know, so it was, it was a great location. And, but mainly what motivated me to create this documentary was 
I would see all these kids posting, like they're going to so-and-so show at Emo's East and they're going to whatever show at Emo's. And a part of me wanted to grab them and say, do you realize the holy ground that you're, you know, that Emo's is located on? Do you realize what shows played here and who has come through here? So a part of me really wanted to kind of really educate a whole new generation of where the backroom was, who it helped, you know, cultivate and the successes that came out of that place and how it helped up and coming bands, you know? So a part of me was really just kind of wanting to not let the backroom be forgotten. And that, that's mainly my, the main purpose. So, you know, I got with John Drew, we had lunch and we kind of put together, a, and this is way, but this is like maybe two and a half years ago. Now we put together a little laundry list of, who, who we wanted to kind of get involved and we kind of had it sit on the shelf and, uh, and then we kind of would poke at it here and there, but then COVID happened and we, we working on other projects, but when COVID hit, none of the bands were on tour, you know, and a lot of the musicians, you know, they were at home. So we kind of thought, well, this might be kind of a good time to actually make this project happen since everybody's at home, everybody's itching to do something. If we do COVID safe shoots, we can maybe start this. So that's what we ended up doing. And starting in December, we started doing shoots. And one shoot turned into two shoots and two shoots turned into 10 shoots. And now we're 40 plus shoots in, uh, you know, at, and then at the beginning, Adam has been a longtime colleague of mine. He's worked with me for years and he's got a huge, he's got a huge roll of decks, just like John Ju. And uh, he's got lots of great contacts, especially in the location and, and, and bar and entertainment district. So I brought him along as an associate producer. So we've both between myself, Adam and uh, John Ju, we've kind of just have led the boat, you know, kind of steered the boat into how we're shaping the story of the back room. So it's been a really fun adventure so far for the last six months now. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, man. I, I, uh, I remember, I don't know when you started going to the back room. I moved here in 2004 and Vic and I met Mm -hmm. in 2005. And actually the first time we really hung out was at the back (laughs) back room room. man, just Mm -hmm. hanging out. Was it, I guess, was there a Ziegenbach? Was there a patio there? Yeah. It's kind of like like we were hanging on the patio. There was but yeah, there long was time. there was the showroroom and then there was the bar area and I think there yeah. if I remember right that outdoor patio that I it's kind of still there. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, that's yeah. I think maybe we were having drinks out there. I that's could right. be wrong, but, yeah, but I remember the, that. Yeah, towards the end they kind of took the bar side and they kind of opened it up into a little courtyard area just exactly like you're talking about. Right. And it had like lattice and everything. So, you know, it it looked it was supposed to be a beer a beer garden kind of thing. So, uh, <laughs> for lack of There a was something word. growing back there for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it was such a bummer that it closed down. I I was fortunate enough to play. They had a I I want to say the date was July 29th, 2007. I could be wrong, but I I remember playing uh, the the first back, back room closing or last show, which was like an all-day big thing, and then all these bands. Yeah. And then they did something else after that. It was like, and then all of a sudden, there was one more show. <laughs> so it was actually July 29th, 2006. That God, you, really, you got, it was 2006. You got, you got the you got the date right. You got the date wow. right. It was a year before, okay. and uh, but that's yeah, that's when they kind of stopped doing shows, and but they didn't officially close the doors till December. But okay, so it was around for. I mean, the back room was around for 33 years. I think it was Adam, right? Yeah. So, uh, so it was it was around a good long a good long chunk, and you know, part of the documentary that we're showing people is 
you know, obviously this wasn't always just a heavy metal bar. This is this actually started out as a little kind of country hole in the wall. Oh, kind of I didn't know that watering hole. And wow. actually, we interviewed one of the main uh, country duos that started. Actually, they played there for thirteen years. They wow. when they they started in the in the seventies, and then they stopped playing in the early eighties. When they kind of started transition, when uh, Jim Ramsey, who was the GM and 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 Booker there, he was he was like, well this hair metal thing is kind of starting to take off and we got a lot of bikers here. It kind of turned into a biker bar. And so maybe we should start booking kind of like these, this hair, like these guys that are wearing big hair and might make up stuff, you know? So uh, that's when it kind of transitioned into more of the hair metal days. And, and then eventually obviously the, the punk and hard rock and all that good stuff. Yeah. So grunge, uh, even new metal yeah. hip hop. Yeah. Man, I tell you what, like I only got to play there. I mean, I played there all I literally didn't start playing the first show I played there might have been in May or or golly. So I I must have played there three or four or five times. I don't know, it seemed like several times, but just in that short little window. That's why I was thinking it was 2007 because I joined a band in 2006 and those were the first gigs I played there. But we played there a lot and there was a great scene. There were always people there. It was all ages. There would be like kids and stuff yeah. and coming up and wanting guitar picks and autographs and i'm like i've I've still never had that coolness happen <laughs> since then but but um it, you know it's funny one of the first guests we had when we started this podcast was was mike watson from dangerous toys uh, yeah. yes. and he was talking about how you know the back room was really popping and that they started you know they were like wow this hair metal thing's really happening and mm -hmm. meeting jason mcmaster and playing shows back there and it's just being packed and and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's interesting to hear how it kind of transitioned to meet those trends and then really became this iconic rock metal bar. I never, that's interesting already learning that because I never had it. Did you know that, Vic? I never knew it was anything else. No. no. That, that was bar. definitely a good chunk of it. The, the metal, the hard rock for sure. Mm -hmm. And then the tell-ins. And then, and then another thing people actually don't realize, and this is something that not a lot of people know at all either, is that the original back room. So you guys are familiar with the area, right? You know, yeah. the, the original back room was actually down where that thundercloud subs in that Riverside liquor, you know, that, you know, just down the hill, right like, in that shopping center, in that right shopping there? center okay. right there. That was the original back room. No shit. Yeah. Huh. And then, so eventually in the late seventies, the owner, uh, Ronnie Rourke, he moved it up the hill to where the building is now. And, the original, and then so that back room that was called the back room, and uh, right next to it was another bar that was called the Copper Dollar. The Copper Dollar is actually what was considered the game side. The back room was just the 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 music side. And then at one point they ended up selling the Copper Dollar to the back room, and the back room took over the entire place. So that's why okay, the, that's why the building was split into two to go into because one was originally another bar, and the other one was just the music side. So right, okay. uh, you know, we, we've we're we're actually like revealing a lot of information to people that you know diehard fans that have gone there for years. That wow, I shit, I never knew that it was another any other place, or I never knew right. it was at a different location, you know? So that's the kind of stuff that we're really kind of delving into. And, you know, and we're, we're getting a lot of great speakers, a lot of people that were actually there. And the thing is, you know, we've have Jason McMaster in the, in the documentary. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. Paula Dell, you know, we have all these people, you know, even Kevin Fowler, 
who was, oh, yeah, sure. at one point, he was part of Dangerous Toys, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that that's kind of like what we've been doing and how we've been telling the story. And even going up to, I think, if you guys have seen the trailer, we know we, we got John Moyer from Disturbed, who oh, yeah. used to play in Union Underground and Soak and stuff at the back room all the time. So, you know, that's that's kind of what, that's why we're doing this, so that we can tell kids and that tell you know, a new generation. Hey, look, look where these people came from. You know, this is where a lot of a lot of up and coming bands and a lot of established bands, you know, ran yeah. through. So that's what we're doing. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. How did you guys initially meet, uh, Adam? Like, so what's your background, and when did you guys get in contact um, or, or start working together? My background with with uh, Boudreaux is probably going on almost twenty years. Uh, we bumped into each other probably two thousand three, two thousand four, off and on. Uh, he was, he was doing a chick, uh, popcorn chicken commercial where I worked at clicks in nice. about 2003, 2004. And, he, and some of my friends were in it. Clicks and like the billiards place. The billiards yeah. On Lamar. Oh, yeah. What? yeah. Oh yeah, dude. On North yeah. Lamar. Wow. That's right. And, uh, it was a little too, uh, risque, I, I believe for the, for television, but I loved it. Um, anyway. Sounds like my kind of. Yeah. I mean, it was, like it was the whole popcorn guy. chicken shower scene, I believe. Uh, that, that kind of set it off. And then uh, I was going to school. I went to school for film, um, radio, television, music, film. Uh, also uh, marketing and public relations. And I uh, interned with Bujo at Time Warner in 2007, I believe. Yeah. And then ever, the, ever since then, we've just kind of just bumped into each other off and on. And I always told him whenever he has something going and he needs any help, I'm there. So Awesome. And he called me right before Christmas, or he messaged me before Christmas, and it was kind of like an early Christmas present for me. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. so cool you guys are doing it. It's funny because um, I I heard about this through, <clears throat> I want to say I was hanging out, working on some stuff out of Mesa Recording Studios in Del Valley in, in 333, hmm. and Tony Park was there. And oh, yeah, Tony. Tony. And, and it came up. And yeah, yeah, I guess... You guys have probably talked to him. I don't know if he's in it and Push Monkey back in the day and all they that. Are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of how it came up. And then I got, I think it's where I got John's name or referred, you know, through that route somehow. But, uh, and so John, what is, because I don't really know him either other than the emails we've exchanged. So what is he, how's he involved in this? So John's kind of our main, our lead producer. He's kind okay. of, uh, he's the one that makes a lot of the connections with the artists, the musicians, the staff, because, you know, we interviewed not just the musicians, but the actual people that were there. So, you know, uh, security people, te- you know, bookers, you know, everybody, pe- bartenders, people that actually were there. So John is a huge, I mean, between myself and Adam, and, you know, we, we obviously do a lot. And then, but John is obviously a huge part of our trifecta that he helps coordinate so much with the artists he helps coordinate so much with our pr and he uh overall just kind of makes connections between us and between us filmmakers and you know the the people that we're interviewing so he's got you know adam has a huge rolodex i have a huge rolodex but john uses an astronaut he has a beautiful mind is what he has (laughs) his mind is the spider web of like all connections like you've seen that billboard and (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) but i think it's in his head Right. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen the billboard. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He, he's so he's our like our he's the real backbone to this. I mean, I'm kind of like the quarterback that this was my idea. This is what I want to do. I know exactly what it needs to look like. I know exactly what it needs to sound like. Uh, 
Janju helps me get that content, you know? So that's, so that's why it's a part of it. You guys are currently still shooting material, still gathering stuff. Are you done with that phase or where are you at in the whole process right now? We've shot a majority of the interviews. We still have a couple of stragglers left. We still have a couple of key interviews that we need to shoot. I think we'll probably be wrapped with shooting interviews probably within the next month or so, probably by for sure by mid July, I think. Right. So, yeah, I think that's our goal. After that, we actually go into shooting. Uh, another thing that we're doing is that we're shooting reenactments. So a lot of the bigger stories, a lot of the bigger events that happened at the club, like Dangerous Toys getting signed and, you know, the two life crew riot. We're going to recreate the two life crew riot. So we're wow. we're actually going to – we actually have uh, somebody – we actually – uh, are building a stage. We're actually building a bar and we're shooting all these reenactments of huh. big events that happen in the club, including one of the items, the most famous items from that bar and that space was the pole, you know, oh, the, yeah. the, the, the pole that was in the middle of the stage. I actually built that myself. And so it's, it's a part of the reenactments. And so, so yeah, like, like once we shoot the reenactments, uh, hopefully by we'll be done with that by August and then we'll be going into post-production for a year. And, you know, the goal is to have this final cut done by September of 2022. So that, that way it'll be eligible for 2023 screenings, film festivals, distribution. Awesome. awesome. So you hear that Vic, we're actually going to be able to uh, put a podcast out two months late and uh, <laughs> it'll still be relevant. Half the shit we, I booked like crazy. And then like, we're like, Oh, we have like 40 podcasts of like in like a few weeks. Not really, but <laughs> we're just like behind this hell. So I'm like, Oh good. This, it doesn't matter if this happens in now or July. Well, the thing about documentaries is that a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of documentaries, they, they average around four to five years to produce, you know, mm-hmm. if not longer. Uh, we're trying, I'm, I'm really trying to get that, get this documentary done in half that time. I'm trying to get it done in two. So if, you know, it's pretty ambitious, but I think we can do it. So, you know, my background is TV production. Mm-hmm. I've been working in TV for 20 plus years, 23 years. And in the world of TV, in the world of TV production, you have to learn how to shoot quickly, edit quickly and right. turn stuff around quickly. So I'm used to shooting and, you know, that's why we got a trailer together so quickly. You know, that's why we were able to put together teasers and posters and, you know, mm-hmm. all these different things because I was so used to doing the quick turnaround. So, but it's also good because our followers, all the fans that we have that are now paying attention to us, you know, they really want to see content all the time. They really want to see, you know, hey, what's going on this week? Who are you guys interviewing this week? You know, you know, and, and that's kind of what we've been doing is we shoot something. We show people, hey, check out what we're doing. And, uh, you know, more coming soon. Stay tuned. So where where do people find that on uh, like is there a production company website, obviously social media stuff. Where's the best place for people to find out information about this project and see? Uh, we have our main page on Facebook. Uh, it's, it's at facebook.com slash bloody bruised backroom. And, uh, on there you can find photos behind the scenes, photos, you know, obviously the trailer, the poster, uh, lots of great stuff on there, but it's uh, facebook.com slash bloody bruised backroom. Okay. And what did you, so what's your, is there some sort of like production company thing between you guys or what is the whole yeah, I, I actually I have my own production company. It's called Penny Rock Productions. Penny Rock. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, my, my, my company name is Penny Rock Productions. So I've started that maybe, oh shit, almost 10 years ago now. And, uh, you know, it, I, it was mainly kind of to dabble in client commercials, music videos, online deals, you know, uh, short films, mm-hmm. that kind of deal. But so this is our, my, I've been involved with a lot of features. I've worked on a lot of other films, but this is personally my first feature feature length film that so, you've done that yeah. I've done that I've personally done. So, but it's a great, I think it's a great one to start with, you know, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it, certainly for anyone who lives in Austin or, yeah. or knows anything about the history of Austin, it's like very exciting to, to, I remember hearing about it and I was like, Oh wow, that's awesome. You know, that making, cause I mean, it's, there's so much, so much history there and so much, and I already just talking to you guys for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. I've already learned stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a great project. And, and it's funny because when we tell people about it, you know, at first we had to be quiet about it for a long time because we obviously had to hold it real close to the chest. But when we actually finally got our press release out saying that, Hey, Penny rock productions is doing this documentary about the back room. You know, when we tell people about it and we see their eyes light up, and they have a big smile on their face and they're like, oh, my God, that's a great. Uh, why didn't I think of that? That's the number one thing I always hear. Why didn't I think of that? And so uh, it's a it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of people are really passionate about that place because it was a community. You know, it was a place of acceptance. And a lot of people really loved there. And a lot of people have invested years of their lives into that into the back. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why that's why there's we have a pretty big following now. And, you know, and, and I've always joked, you know, what started off as a small little project like this, you know, has now kind of ballooned into this yeah. huge thing where now we have all these eyeballs on us. And, you know, it, and it's a great thing. It's it's a scary thing. Uh, it's nerve wracking, but it, it, it still it's great nonetheless. And then, like you were saying, so you're going to shoot for film festivals in 2023. I mean, I, obviously, there's. Sundance is that the big one in Utah? Yeah, uh, I yeah. I mean, there's a. Couple I know there's different. a ton. I know there's a ton of them. I don't. I don't yeah, know much about I mean, that. There's there, there's dude. There's festivals all over the place, and there's yeah, yeah. there's big ones in uh there's big ones here in the country. There's also big ones all over the world. Uh, I mean, the one of the big ones is you know obviously Tribeca, Sundance, uh, Cannes. Confin Film Festival that's in, in I think France, right? Oh, wow. and okay. uh, but obviously we're gonna try, we're gonna aim to get a South by, you know, right? Yeah, you know that that'd be great. It'd be great to get a South by. It kind of seems like it, it's really appropriate. It's an Austin-based story, you know, so Austin-based film festival. Sure. So, but it's never guaranteed with South by, you know. Yeah. I would say that. Uh, but I th- I'm I'm pretty confident we'll 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 have a pretty good festival run at you know and definitely we're definitely going to have like theatrical screenings for sure that's already kind of a done deal so awesome and then awesome. and then af- and then after the film festival circuit we're going to see about uh we're already in talks about a uh streaming distribution as well besides the D- dvd blu-ray distribution very so, cool yeah all that's all that all that is in the works i know it seems like a long time away but we actually have to talk about it now and plan it oh, I, now i understand because yeah. you know that's that's how budgets work so mm-hmm. yeah um, what's the difference between, cause most guys I know are most, you know, independent film directors, people getting started. They obviously do make short films mm-hmm. and I imagine there's a lot of, is there a particular time that, that defines or, or splits the, a short film between a feature, like, it's like usually, a EP LP kind of, is there a very specific, it's usually defined by the 45 minute mark. 
anything under the 45 minute is considered a short, uh, anything over 45 is considered a feature. So that's, that's kind of layman's terms, rule of thumb, you know, some, some festivals are different than others, you know, but that's kind of what it is, sort of. And when you're doing like like this this kind of stuff you're talking about, what you said is still kind of you know a ways in the future, but I mean it seems like is it? I I experienced this a little bit just in music and like people are like oh you know if you're really like shopping around for to try to like you know get to the next tier or or do some serious stuff it's like people are like oh well I need an album right or it's something like that. Do you feel is it the same in film where it's like? Yeah, there's more opportunity or more do- or like with streaming and stuff, right? Because you don't mm-hmm. see like a lot of short films, I don't think. So is it more? Uh, is there more opportunity? You think with that as as a feature length, or does it matter? <clears throat> it's it's actually more difficult because, especially in the world of music, and especially in this documentary, because it is a music documentary, and there's lots of you know musical uh, cuts and tracks in it. Uh, what a, the one thing that separates a, a feature from a short that's very different and it's kind of time consuming and kind of a pain in the ass is all the minutia of legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, especially with music rights, you know, you have to clear, you know, like we're using uh, tracks from dangerous toys. So we have to get the rights to teasing and pleasing from Sony Columbia. Uh, they want to know, well, how much, you know, how much of the song are you going to be using? Uh, are you going to be using 15 seconds, 30 seconds? And if so, are you going to be using it in the title? Are you going to be using it in the film? Are you going to be using it in the trailers? Are you going to be using any marketing material? Okay, we've established what you're going to do with the film. After that, we need to talk about distribution rights. So are you going to use it exclusively for home video, streaming services? Da, da, da. So like all the legal jargon that I can't stand, that's <laughs> a big part of the film process that, you know, people really think, oh man, we're making a movie. It's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, there's a lot more than that. You know, there's a lot of work and, you know, you know, what a movie, just- yeah, I think it's the same as, as music, but e- exponentially even more grand. Cause you got entire crews. I mean, a studio, oh, yeah. you know, you make an album, you got a few guys in a studio and it takes forever. And there's, there's all kinds of things you would never think about, but anyone who's like, Oh, that sounds so cool. I want to go to, then they're like in the studio, like bored as fuck. Cause it's just, yeah, like, yeah. Oh my God, this is so boring. And then the, a movie, like being on just various shoots and movie sets, it's, it's the same thing. You're standing around, you're trying to get this right, get that right. I mean, there's oh, all these man. factors that have to work together. And then once you get that, and then you do this many, many times, and then once you get all, and then there's the editing. And then, like you said, and a whole, and then this the syncing, the audio, the music, the licensing, the this, the that. It's just this endless, seemingly endless process yeah, of stuff. I yeah, can only the, imagine the complexity of actually running that. Of that's why it usually takes like four years, probably. Yeah, yeah, it makes yeah. sense. And so that's why, like a lot of people, they get kind of caught. They get kind of caught in the limelight of like, oh, I'm a part of this film and it's great. Yeah, because you're showing up for two days and then you're <laughs> yeah, gone, you, you know? So. You, film, you, film their, you film their one scene in a, in a feature length and like three days later, like, hey man, when's the movie going to be out? Oh yeah, we, I mean, we get a ton <laughs> We get a ton of people asking us, you know, when's this going to be coming out? And I'm like, well, we're shooting for 2023. Like, man, that's going to take forever. And I'm like, dude, you know? <laughs> you know uh, Have you ever I, seen a movie? <laughs> I know. It's like, it's not a simple process, you know? And don't get me wrong, I'm a quick editor, but I'm, I ain't that fucking quick, you know. So uh, it, it's it's a big it's a big uh, it's a big undertaking, that's for sure. Uh, it's a big challenge, 
And the biggest challenge that we, that definitely I'm going to face because I'm not only the director and the producer, but I'm also the writer and, and editor. Mm-hmm. I'm the lead editor on this yeah, film. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, uh, <clears throat> is that we're trying to, we're trying to wedge 33 years of history into a solid two hour movie. And because, you know, we've had a couple people ask us, you know, well, you should make a series of this. And I'm like, dude, I, I don't have that kind of time or budget, you know, uh, unless this gets picked up by Netflix, I'm not doing that. And so what, what I know how to work with the years of production experience that I have, and, and, and Adam can attest to this. I've learned the workarounds. I've learned how, what's, what works and what's most efficient. And I, so I could, I could in theory put this together very quickly. Um, but you know, it, it, for this audience, this lends itself more to a solid two hour film, you know, that our audience, the person, our demographic would love to go to a theater. They go in, they watch it, they leave and they say, and they go to the bar and they have a couple of drinks and they talk about it, you know? Uh, they're not going to be committed to watching it over and over and over again as a series and that kind of thing. So that's, that's why we're making it into a film, but into a two hour film, but that, that's also the biggest challenge is right now we have 40 plus interviews. That's 40 out, uh, 40 some hours. That's not counting. That's not counting the 150 plus hours of band footage that I have, you know? Um, (laughs) so to, to condense all of that into one film, there's definitely a challenge there. So now I happily accept that, but it's definitely a challenge, which is why it's going to take a little bit of a time, everybody. <laughs> so, um, you know, just talking about, you know, splitting these things and it's a big popular thing now. Um, I guess some with music, with music documentaries, particularly serial killer documentaries, which seems to yes. be the most popular fucking thing ever. Clearly, you're a fan. <laughs> I, like I always get roped into the goddamn things, even though I, I'm like, I don't want to. And then I now nah, I've seen them all. But Vic and I have talked about some of those on here. And they, man, that, you better just know that you're not going to sleep that night when you start one of those fuckers, because then you just basically end up watching like, you know, the whole 46 thing. hours. Right and, yeah, I, I, love, I tell you, I love those. And they're done really well. And I look, yeah. watch that because I mean, I like watching the things, you know, and just you, you think about all that goes into that and the production, oh, yeah. all the shots and the editing. And the, I mean, it's a, it's a huge. And to think like, man, like that is an intensive, huge process. And you're talking about a two hours, like you said, if you, ex- if that was a docu-series, man, you're dealing with like six, eight hours of material. That's crazy. Like, that's oh, yeah. a lot of time. Like one of my, I'm friends with one of the directors of the Son of Sam. Uh, oh, I just started watching that. <laughs> yeah, that that one's really good. Yeah, uh, I really, I really love the way that he did that. But I, the one that I really, really love was is the Night Stalker one. I knew you were going to say yeah. that. That's Vic's that favorite. The Night it's Stalker done really one. well. Yeah, it's I some love, cool eighties music in it. Yeah, yes. not only that, you know, you know what I really love? I love the, their reenactments. I love how they show the crime scene and the camera kind of flies into the room and then it kind of goes above the, the bed and then it kind of lowers down. And I, and I, I was talking to one of my editor friends that lives in LA that she actually works with Netflix. And I'm like, how the fuck did they make this? How did they do that? She's like, dude, you have no idea what kind of budget they had to make, oh, yeah. you know, the after effects budget that they had just, just to recreate those scenes. So. Uh-huh. You know, obviously, yeah, there's a lot of 
a lot of work that goes into that, but they look beautiful. But I totally, to get back to your point, I totally agree. I love all those docuseries of, about the serial killers. I love the Ted Bundy one. I love the Son of Sam one. And I love, I love, love, love the Night Stalker one. But I can the, totally get sucked into all those. That creepy hotel one was a pretty good one, too. Yes, I like that one, too. The, nope, uh, that was good. They did a good job of uh, the Cecil, the Cecil Hotel. Cecil, Cecil Hotel. Ah, yeah. They did a good job of leaving you with cliffhangers on that one where you're like, ah, fuck. All right. I have to watch the next one. <laughs> yeah. It's like, she OD'd, right? She fucking OD'd, right? Like, she OD'd, right? <laughs> I mean, I kind of figured it out or I had a sense of it from the get go. But then, like, they would do certain things where you're like, oh, holy shit. Like, this fucking crazy dude killed her. No, he didn't do anything. They just ruined his life. That's all. <laughs> just oh. fucking internet. Yeah. What do they call them? These like, oh, like uh, internet web reclu- uh, web sleuth. Get a fucking life, dude. <laughs> the the <laughs> keyboard warriors. <laughs> oh, dude, another one. I uh, a while back I got sucked into it. This. I, oh man, I feel like a rant's coming, Vic. I'm sorry. It just <laughs> oh. look. Oh, now I, I get the inter- I get the entertainment value, but I have no sympathy. I'm not one of these rehabilitation persons. People, if you're a like convicted k- k- serial killer, fuck you, man. Die, fucker. <laughs> I hate that these fucks still go to like this fucking Night Stalker guy goes to prison and just sits around until he dies of fucking cancer. I mean, should have killed that fucker immediately. Anyway, I'll get off. But there was a point <laughs> to this, and I lost it. But <laughs> I, I don't know what they're yapping about. There was something in there before. Yeah, maybe it was that one. Oh, yeah, these web sleuths, dude. It's like ruin. Oh, now I know what it was. Another one. Did you ever see that? Because I was like, I wish they'd kill this fucking guy, but he's in Canada, and they're all too nice up there. The fucking uh, cats one. Don't fuck with cats. Yes. That motherfucking (laughs) sick bastard. Jesus Christ. Oh, what a fucker. That was also very very, well done. Very well done. And that's actually an example of web sleuths. Mm-hmm. doing right like doing doing like, good yeah props to those fucking people man they were like we're gonna get this sick bastard and they finally did yeah <laughs> that, that was also very they're well the true detectives like for sure yeah and now he's sitting in a canadian prison like uh oh sorry i, I you know, <laughs> fucker and then and then he they brought back un, unsolved mysteries yeah, yeah. we were talking I, about know, that too i kind of dig i know a lot of people get i know that it gets a lot of shit, but I, you know what? I kind of like it. You know, yeah, I, I guess like because too. you know what? I guess because maybe we're all around the same age and we remember the actual original show, yep. yeah. and so and that's the thing about you know a lot of people, a lot of especially in the film world, uh, the and it happens a lot sometimes in the music world. So I think you guys can understand where like you know something new is happening, and you get people that just what like and they shit on it online, you know, so. Right. You know, it happens a lot in the film world, especially with like, and not to oh, say that anytime I'm, you remake a movie, you're not. Yeah, gonna, exactly. You know, that's gonna, what I'm saying. Why are they doing that? Why are know? they doing? You know, what the fuck are they thinking? And I, and and don't get me wrong, I do that sometimes too. I, I just don't do it publicly. But you know, I I don't feel the need to go and declare to a whole bunch of people that this is wrong. You know, because there somebody decided to remake something. But that's the reason is I think that's why a lot of it's getting done because filmmakers now like that are our age they remember those series they remember those tv shows and they remember those films so they want to like i want to do that myself because now they're the age that they can actually go out and do it and absolutely you know and so 
that's why I don't, it doesn't bug me so much that you know I, I kind of like the Unsolved Mysteries remake. You know, it's pretty well done. I kind of think, and I love I love watching those fucking crime docu series. I watch those all the fucking time. They're always well done. I will say. If, yeah, I mean, if if they're really well done, then they're they're I'm all about them, man. So because most of the time, if I'm watching Netflix or any streaming or even films, I mean, if it's not horror related. Or it's a docu. I'm watching a docu series, uh, or uh, you know, or a documentary, and, and you know, uh, for me, it's all research. You know, I'm, I'm studying. I, oh, yeah. I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm looking at how did somebody do something. Uh, you know, and one of my favorite and and one of my favorite docu series that I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, and that I've I've kind of told my crew about is called uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Have you guys heard of that? It's about it's it's about uh, all these kind of weird stories and all these back dramatic stories that happen in the professional wrestling world. Um, oh, okay. And, and so, like it, it would tell like the backstory of like what really happened with Macho Man and what really happened with all these other wrestlers and the Montreal Screwjob and stuff like that. But uh, I really love the way that they do their reenactments and. The way that they do them is a direct influence on the way that I'm doing my reenactments for my documentary, you know? And and I, I know when Adam, right? Like, you've yeah. seen them. Like how, yeah, you sent it to like, me. I, I watched that, and I've been watching also the bios on the wrestlers, too. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, it, I mean, and not to say that, you know, it, I'm, not, I'm not saying, hey, you guys got to watch this story about wrestling. What I'm saying is look at their techniques. Look at their styles. Look at their their skill sets check out how they're doing this you know i send it to my crew we have a facebook page that's strictly for my crew for the documentary every once in a while i go on there and i post something where i get it online or i find something cool or i am like hey check out the way that they did this guys i really like the lighting that they did here i really like the way that they did these shots you know check out how they used fog in the background you know just stuff like that and so i i'm always I'm I'm a film kid, man. So I'm a big geek. I'm a film geek, and so I'm always learning. I'm always constantly, you know, absorbing films, and whether they be documentaries or horror films or fucking unsolved mysteries, you know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's it's, it's the people. It, like now, it's the people that they go out and they say, you know what? I'm buying a camera and I'm buying a laptop with Adobe Premiere and Photoshop, and I'm a producer now, you know. And I'm like, dude, there's a lot more to it than that, you know. There, you, you got to do the research. You got to you, you got to do the work, you know. Um, you got to have the passion, you know. It's not all just it's not all just showing up, making a movie, and all of a sudden you're making thousands of dollars from distribution and blah blah blah, and your star and all that stuff. There's a lot of work that goes into it, so it. it it's a big thing, and that's why I'm really passionate about filmmaking and, and production overall. Yeah, I think that's that's so huge for any medium, and especially in the arts. Like, I mean, it kind of seems obvious when you're as an athlete. You, you know, what, a guy like us wouldn't just go like, "I'm going to go play football tomorrow." But for some yeah. reason, like anyone who gets a guitar or a camera is like, "I'm a audit," or "I'm a uh, uh, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm a like producer," "I'm a <laughs> photographer." Uh, no, you're not, because these are these are crafts that have exactly. science behind them that have years of years. theory and practice sure. and. All, and so anybody, I think it's a responsibility of any artist in any of these mediums to do your research as a musician, like, 
yeah, always listening and keeping an open mind and wanting to hear new things and get new ideas. And it's it's absurd if someone's like, well, I only listen to this or like, yeah. like I only watch serial killer documentaries. Well, <laughs> you're not really broadening your horizons in terms of like, you know, other ideas that. So, yeah, man, I think uh, that's one of the greatest things. And, and I think most great artists are always doing that. They're always wanting to to you know keep increasing their knowledge and just learn you know the the number one pitfall and especially in this field in the in the world of filmmaking and the world of production is the number one pitfall that i've come across you know from friends colleagues coworkers that happens is when you stop learning you get stale and right. when you get stale lazy you, you you lose your viewership you lose your audience you lose your clients you know whoever it may be if you get stale, you know, you cannot get stale. And then, and, and that, so that requires constant learning. It requires constant, uh, you know, staying abreast of technology. I know that's a big one that people yeah. hate. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, yeah, I got to learn this new software. No one wants to that. use the, uh, look, I hate every second of it. And everyone's like, Oh, I don't use social media. Well, that must be nice because you kind of have to, right? Like, yeah. All this shit. Like, if you were like, oh, I don't like Adobe Premiere, or well, what are you going to do? Edit with your hands? I mean, or I don't like, cut. <laughs> you going to cut? It's like guys with tape machine. What are you going to do? Cut film and shit? I mean, maybe yeah. you actually do that. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how this works on real, you know, movies and stuff, but like, exactly, dude. I, you're right. Technology is probably the biggest thing of all because it's just exponentially moving. Speaking of what you mentioned, you mentioned uh, Premiere Afterburner. So, what do you use specifically? Or, I mean, you probably oh. have all a bunch of different things, but no, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I don't, I don't mind saying it. I'm an Adobe kid. I use Adobe After Effects and Adobe Premiere and Adobe Photoshop and Illustrator and all that stuff because it's, you know, it's all bundled together. But, you know, the thing is, I've evolved over the years, over 20 plus years of production. So I started off with, I started off tape to tape, you know, I started off when the, the, the cameras had the very first camera I used was an umbilical deck. It had an umbilical deck. So in other words, it had a big, huge, like not just VCR deck. It was a three quarter tape deck that you would lug out, lug on a shoulder. And then the camera had a, had an umbilical cord that connected to the deck and you would have to lug that around to record stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So I started off tape to tape. I started off, you know, how they did back in the seventies, you know? Um, so I've gone through the linear phase I, and then I transitioned into nonlinear back in the early two thousands. And I forced myself to learn avid and final cut and media 100 and pinnacle and stuff. So that I, you know, because at this point, once you know how to edit when it comes to editing, you know, once you know how to edit, it's just a matter of application. You know, if, if you know how to, I know how to cut on the beat. I know how to trans use transitions. I know how to color correct. I know how to do this. It's all just a matter of, well, how do I do it in this certain program? You know, it, it, it's just, it, and it's the same thing with music. You know, if, you know, you know how to, you, you know how to play the guitar. Well, you know how to play the guitar. How do I play it on, you know, how do I play guitar on this guitar? Or, or like I a play Samsung this? phone or Apple phone. It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I but it's I guess it's a matter of application, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. The the basics are the are the same. The fundamentals are the same. Yeah. yeah. But if you edit for shit, then in that you know that, that's worthless. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm one of those guys that like I do. It's kind of a I I do some stuff myself because I can. You know, and and it's budget makes more sense. So I'm not putting 
But it's also, even if I was like a great engineer and a great musician and a great, you know, uh, edit, you know, editor and videographer, which I'm, I'm none of those, but like, even if I, you, you can't do it all anyway, you have to have a team, you have to outsource, you know? And it's like, so I think it's like anything you, you learn skills or you least kind of know what's going on. I can navigate around in these DAWs. I can navigate around a little bit in, in Adobe Premiere. And I actually really like getting creative and putting a video together, but I would never be like, Hey, let me go do a pro video for, you know, because it's like, I realize like there's so like, even when you say like color correct, I'm like, and anyone in film I've talked to, there's that always comes up and I'm like, yeah, what is that again? <laughs> Explain color correction for, uh, for guys like me that are like, what is that? What, is this some like correction. final? Is that like mastering for movies? Like a final sprinkle? Yeah, it's kind of like well, there's color grading and color correcting. Color grading is kind of like uh, when you see, you know, you see a night scene and you see people at night and they're out like in the woods and you notice that it's kind of bluish and you know, like that's color. That's color grading. Or you know, people are you know, in some kind of dungeon scene and there's fire. So it's kind of reddish and, you know, like that's color grading. You're kind of coloring the picture to set the mood, to establish tone, to establish atmosphere. Color correction is, you know, depending on the kind of camera, you know, a lot of fuck ups happen on set. That's just what happens, you know? So you have to white balance stuff. You have to color correct. So you usually use chip charts so that you can try to get the colors of everything that you shot to the actual 100% neutral zone. So in other words, so white looks like white, the color white, black looks like the color black, yellow looks like the color yellow, red looks like the color. So you're actually correcting the color of the footage. So okay. that's so that's the difference. So that's what that means, color correcting. So most of the it, it all depends on the film or the project or whatever it is. So that was kind of, sorry that was kind of a long winded answer. No, no, that's <laughs> that's cool, man. I mean, that's it's, um, that's what it means. I imagine it's you know, like I said, like like making a, a song or an album, but just exponentially more factors. Yeah, and you know, it's like like you said, you get all the footage and then you go to the editing and then you go to like now all this has to be kind of a seamless thing and also look cohesive and yeah, and all that kind of stuff, you know. And it's and and the thing is that. With any art project, art project, I mean, you know, whether it be a film or a song or, or a painting or anything that you create, you know, you could, I mean, we all know that you can nitpick to it to forever. You know, you could say, well, I could always add a little bit more of this, or I could always, you know, you know, what if I actually move these frames here? What if I actually colored this, you know, thing up a little bit more? You know, uh, it, it's one of those things where at, at one point you have to like let it go and just say, all right, it's done. You know, mm-hmm. whether whether it be a song or whether it be a film or whether it be a painting on the wall or whatever, you know. Uh, but, you know, as artists, you know, you always get caught into that little kind of conundrum of, is it done? It's done, right? I think it's done. And then you wake up in the middle of the night. I, I think it. I got one thing I got to ask you. Asking your uh, friend for like the eighth time, like, hey. Yeah. And they're like, dude, it seriously doesn't sound any different than it did eight <laughs> times ago to my ears. Exactly. <laughs> You're insane. Exactly. So you get it. You know what I'm saying. Oh, I definitely get <laughs> it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Vic knows too. <laughs> well, Vic's Vic's kind of like step, you know, put his toe in the pond with that with the podcast editing stuff, you know. Yeah. But yeah, um, could you oh, managed- you just drop my voice, my vocal track in, just tweak it just a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate my. I found out by starting this podcast that I hate my voice. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, Vic, put this one that I I tried to make myself sound more manly in. 
<laughs> I mean, you guys, that's the first thing you said when we got on here about Vic's voice. Yeah. It just sounds perfect. Oh, yeah, man. You got that You got that trailer voice. You know? I'm going to try putting on a clutch hat. I think I'm not it's saying a clutch that hat, is the yeah. key. Yeah. Uh, speaking of clutch, this, this, uh, this poster here, this show poster, uh, both Skunk and I went to this show, and it was at, it was at the new Emos, right? So mm-hmm. talk about the background. Nice. Yeah. yeah. But that's, yeah, that's sure. I was probably at that show. Yeah. I can't, I can't see it very well, but what you, what, what's the year on that? Um, probably like what, 2014, 15? Yeah, right. Sounds I think so. It was the Strange Cousins from the West album. Ah. Oh, man. I haven't <laughs> seen Clutch since the Austin Music Hall days. Oh. That's a pinball machine with a, with a gear shift right in the middle. So it's kind of cool. Cool. I think was that the show they played? Did they play with COC? I, didn't we just talk about this and I already forgot? Did they play? With, no, 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 no. That was the show before this. With masks on. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, they had like a local band. Oh, that, that was the up. one where there was like a contest or something, and a yeah. local band got to open. That's right. Oh yeah, wow. remember. like a real battle of the bands kind of thing. I, hell, yeah. it might have even been two. I think all the openers were locals. <clears throat> I think it was. Uh, I can't remember who the. Now that I think about it, I want. I could be wrong, but I want to say there was a band. I can't think what their name was, and then that band Amplified Heat played. I think. Yeah, but I well, might that, be wrong. That was the first show uh, that I went to, where I actually stepped back into what used to be the back room. Now you know it was emos now, but that was the first show that I went to, and I'm like, oh, they did this here. <laughs> oh, they, yep. oh, they changed. Yeah, it's this. quite yeah. quite and the bar and the pole, the different. pole still there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The pole yeah. still there. Yeah. yeah, the pole still there. <sighs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, I'm glad that it reopened as something like legit and cool, right. yes. and, and then just become you know some condos. Uh, yeah, uh, condos. Yeah. Right? No kidding. Right? Or Chipotle. So, <laughs> <laughs> nothing corporate, please. Jeez. I'm not. I'm not knocking Chipotle for the Chipotle people. I'm just saying, you know. I think John Drew loves I'm Chipotle, least- doesn't he? Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> Look, hey, Chipotle's Chipotle's food is great, but there was a there was a. I don't know. There's so many goddamn reality shows and on every network, but Food Food Network. There was a show one time. Maybe it's still running, but this was one of the earlier seasons. I don't even remember how long ago this was now. And there was some kind of contest of people. Blah blah. I can't remember. But I just remember the judges or the people that had teams. One of them was the owner of Chipotle. Mm-hmm. He just rubbed me wrong. <laughs> weird, weird too. <laughs> weird, weird, badass though. So weird, like uh, one of the web sleuths on the uh, Cecil Hotel. <laughs> Remember the one that was really like obsessed with the girl? Yeah, uh, just weirdos. Yeah, man. like weirdos. Yeah. Like super weirdos. I don't know. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but like, like it's one of those things um, where. I guess I'll never get a sponsorship from Chipotle. Oh, darn. Or Subway. <laughs> because what I'm about to say is, like, he's the kind of guy you look at, and you're like, oh, um, where's our kid? You know what I mean? Like, he just, <laughs> he's like, and then uh, for years, I'm rant coming. I remember those Subway commercials with that Jared guy, and I was like, yeah. I don't fucking like this guy, dude. I don't just, I don't like the way this guy looks. And then it turns out he's this, like, fucking pedophile. And I'm just like, dude, Subway, for real. Like, what fucking idiot made that marketing decision? Like, went like, this weirdo. Let's make this weirdo our spokesperson. Uh, I don't know. Pass it around the room, guys. I'm sorry. This is just what I do. I get angry. I become angry old white guy on our podcast from time to time. It just... 
It just happens. No, I dig it. I dig it. It happens, man. That's, you should make a documentary okay. after this one called Angry Old White Guys. I'll be, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be happy to start it. It'll just ben, be one long interview. With, with yeah. <laughs> you end up with like eight hours of footage from one interview. You're like, God, this fucking guy is so angry. <laughs> And Vic, you can just introduce the whole thing, like, let's yeah. talk to Skunk. <laughs> yeah, no one will watch it after that anyway. They'll just, like, all the chicks will just have an orgasm to Vic's voice and they turn it off. <laughs> A couple of, like, old, angry white guys will watch the whole thing. Mm. Yeah, me too. I hate everything. We can uh, we can reenact, uh, reenact the rants that you've had on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of them. <laughs> That's awesome. let's talk about influences for you guys what made you want to get into this uh in, into film like what were some of your favorite movies directors uh stuff oh, like man. that i i grew up uh i made my first film when i was 14 years old i i knew when as soon as i picked up a camera when i was you know 13 12 11 13 i was like this is what i want to do i mean i had watched movies I, my, my parents, they were, you know, great parents and all like, but I, for the longest time, I, I, all I told them is like, I just want to go, uh, to the video store. I just want to see what movies they have. I just want to watch movies, you know? So I loved going, doing the whole Friday night VHS thing, you know, yeah. I loved, I missed that so much. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that was a huge part of my upbringing was just watching film after film. And then, you know, I kind of remember, you know, really falling in love with horror films. So like my father, he, he took me and my brother to Sears when I think when I was like six years old and he bought me Night of the Living Dead on for 99 cents on VHS. <laughs> and my brother and I wore the shit out of that tape. Nice. Yeah. And, and it was great. And so I loved watching horror films, especially VHS, you know, and especially in the 80s and stuff like that. It was it was just amazing. Mm-hmm. So I always and a part of me when I was a kid was like, I want to do this. I want to make movies. And so I luckily when when I went to school for it, you know, I was able to get a job in TV production. So you know, I kind of really kicked ass when it came to like trying to, you know, uh, I started off as an intern. So I really tried to set myself apart by trying to do a lot of the same work that other editors were doing, you know? So I really try to go above and beyond to like, Hey, yeah, I'll, I'll try to learn how to shoot this. I'll try to learn how to edit this. I'll do this. You know, I was basically, you know, an, uh, you know, an unpaid employee. I was doing other employees work for no pay because I wanted to learn how to do it. And so I did that for a while when I was 17 years old. And then I actually got hired as an editor when I was 18. Uh, so all that time was, you know, throughout that time was when I was watching and studying film and, and then collecting VHS tapes and then eventually collecting DVDs, you know, uh, when, and then when I went into film school, it was kind of just, Wait a minute. Are you telling me the assignment is we got to watch Sunset Boulevard on a big ass screen in front of an <laughs> auditorium? You know, that's the assignment. Well, fuck yeah, let's do it. You know, that was amazing to me. I never failed a film class in film school because I, it was always fun to me. It came second nature to me. So, uh, you know, it, it was always something that I was really passionate about. And even all these years later, now that I've been doing it professionally for 23, 4, 25 years almost, you know, it, it's, I'm one of those lucky people that gets to say, I love going to work every day because every day is different. And, you know, I shoot with all types of people all the time. And I, you know, it's never boring and I, I just love it, you know? So, uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where 
you know, I, I love watching a movie at night and I just, I fall in love with the genre all over again, whether it be a fucking Japanese samurai film or whether it be an Italian gangster film or whether it just be a schlocky 80s horror film. I just, I love watching. I love learning. And that's what really influences me to try to do what I do when I do my stuff, you know? So as far as like influences, man, I mean, George Romero was, was a huge influence on me. George Romero, who made the original Night of the Living Dead, Creep Show, Dawn of the Dead, all that. Uh, Martin Scorsese, you know, gotta love him. I love him. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola, he's amazing. Uh, Kira Kurosawa, I love Kurosawa stuff, man. All the Japanese, all the Jap, I love Japanese film. I have a, right next to me, and you can't see it, but like right here next to me, I have a whole shelf of all these foreign, uh, Japanese films and Colombian films and all this other stuff that I just, I just love absorbing that. My wife, my wife gets so upset sometimes because she's like, are you watching another fucking Japanese movie? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, and my, so my son kind of digs it. He's like, Hey, we're watching a samurai film. It's cool. You know? And, uh, you know, he, he digs it, you know, he loves to share Mifune. So it's like, he loves watching these old Japanese films. I, I love watching them too. So because, Again, I'm learning, and mm-hmm. so many of today's films come from those films. You know, uh, there you have to learn from your past predecessors. You have to, le- and that's in any art form. It doesn't matter if right. you're a musician or a filmmaker, or whatever. You know, you name anybody, what, what anybody's passionate about, you they know who their predecessors were, and they know who the big boys that came out of that art form are and who they were, you know? So for me personally, I mean, I love, I love those guys. I love Coppola, Scorsese, Romero, Kurosawa, uh, Fincher, David Fincher, you know, I mean, Billy Walder. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on, but you know, I, I just, I just love the art form and it's always been something that I've been really passionate about. And, and, and like I said, my background is television. My day to day job is television production, you know, but I always try to have it be influenced by the art of film and how to make something look, you know, high dollar and how to make look something look cinematic is what I guess I'm trying to get to because I work with clients all the time that, you know, they have a budget of $3,000, you know, but they want George Lucas effects and they want to, but <laughs> they want it to look like $300,000, you know? Mm. So that's my challenge is how am I going to make that happen for the client, you know, right. uh, to have them come back later on. And so, um, yeah, man, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, I know that was kind of a long answer, but I'll wrap it up with this. It, it It's all about sight, sound, motion, and emotion, right? And it's my job to manipulate those things for the audience. How am I going to manipulate those? So that that's what I do in a nutshell, sight, sound, motion, emotion. Uh, what about you, Adam? What kind of stuff got you into this line of work? Well, uh, I've always kind of been, well, I grew up the way, like, kind of like Cable Guy would say, like the babysitter. You know, I was uh-huh. always in front of a television. So if I'm not watching Price is Right or Young and the Restless with my grandma, I'm, <laughs> I'm you know, making the channel go from, you know, 2 to 48 to try to squeeze in some uh, Showtime or playboy or whatever and then <laughs> the, like the old squiggly line yeah those squiggly yeah. line effect and then you know skinamax my family i'm like um i don't know i don't get really into 
this, I don't know, I guess you could say I really like really good movies, but I also like really shitty movies too. And Oh yeah. So, uh, yes. <laughs> and everybody always talks about, Adam, you know all this about this, 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 and I'm like, well, I'm talking about Meatballs and like Meatballs 2, The Aliens. <laughs> you know, Please Academy. These aren't award-winning movies. Classic 80s, yeah. yeah. This is stuff I like, and I think I really love dra- dramatic movies, and I love movies that make you laugh, cry, uh, f- feel the emotion, like Boudreaux said. And you have to go through all that in a film, and if you don't, then I just, I'm not really into it. Um, yeah, and I, I was like, what you were talking about, the stale chip, you know, or getting stale earlier, and I felt like I was kind of getting stale uh, until Boudreaux gave me a call. You know, I'm a postman, right? So I'm not dealing with any of this stuff anymore. It's been like almost... I don't know, 20 years since I've, I've made short films, you know, like, and that was like 2004. Okay. Wow. So we're going like almost 20 years that I haven't really touched any of this equipment. So every time I join them, I'm learning every day, just like he was talking about, uh, it's a learning process and I'm there to learn. Uh, when he, when he called me and I was like, I'm ready, I want to do this. I'm ready to learn. And if I, if I don't know, I'm gonna learn it. And then every day something new and it's very, uh, it's something I love to do. Uh, I don't have to get paid for it. You know what I mean? It's something I just enjoy. Uh, I also remember Texas Chainsaw Massacre watching when I was five. Uh, that's not something a five year old should probably see. <laughs> you got, yeah, you guys had interesting parents. They're yeah. Like, well, yeah. they left me alone a lot. No wonder you love serial killer documentaries. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and I just remember taking like a, a bath and the, it was like 80s lighting in the bathroom. Bathroom was like red. I don't know what it was. It's like it just looked like straight out of a horror flick, like when a guy's peeling his face off and like poltergeist. Yeah, that lighting. So I was like screaming at the top of my lungs, you know, for my mom, you know, after watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre and stuff like that. It's uh, funny how those kind of movies will like when you. Well, for me anyway, I was like, I remember my parents telling me when the Thriller video came out, I ran and hid behind the couch. I got a thrill- oh, Thriller for God's sake. I got a Thriller. And I used story. to be like terrified of like Friday the Thirteenth and. Uh, Freddy Krueger and, sh- and nowadays I'm just like wow that is so ridiculous and, and hilariously cheesy you yeah. know just teenagers getting murdered in weird ways for having sex at a lake house or whatever the hell yeah, but that's like the way it's, they all started it's, it's awesome yeah, you know but I, mean, I was like head. afraid of that yeah 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 my mom told me I used to have to get dropped off at uh you know kindergarten first grade uh listening to Thriller and I had to wait till the end right till Vincent Price the laugh <laughs> the you had to wait for the laugh. laugh. Yeah, but yes. it took like six minutes, right? Seven minutes if you listen to the whole thing. And then <laughs> yeah. I had to jump out of the window like Dukes of Hazard. And it wasn't going to happen in any other way. <laughs> so, you know, just things like that. I mean, I've always, I've, right I've always there. been in the TV and I've always been in the film and I've always talked about it and it's part of my life. Music as well, very much so. Mm-hmm. So, and it just, you put them all together, that's what we're doing right now. Exactly. That's exactly it. I mean, I grew up as a, as a, as a metal kid and I kind of transitioned into a punk kid. And, you know, ever since then, I've kind of, you know, uh, would dabble in both. And that's kind of why I started going to the back room in the first place was mm-hmm. I moved here in 99. And that's when I first and I literally, literally lived on the same street as the back room. So I'd lived with all the college kids and I would walk down there, down the hill and go in there. And it was like a place that like, wow, you're playing like heavy metal music here. Like, this is awesome. Like, there's bands that play heavy metal music. This is amazing, you know. So it, it it was kind of a no-brainer when I, I was like, man, this is this would be a great idea for a documentary because it's not only film, it's not only a documentary film, which I really love the genre of documentary, but it's also a kick-ass subject about killer music and 
and you get to learn something along the way, you know, kind of yes. thing. So yes, very much. that's kind of why, that's kind of why, you know, I knew that Adam was a huge music nut as well. Uh, that's why I brought him on board. And I remember telling John G that, that I'm like, Adam, you're not, you're not going to be disappointed with having Adam on board because he not only has the connections, but he's actually passionate about it as well. And that's why we all work together and, and we're all around the same age. And, and another thing is, you know, somebody, somebody asked us the other day, well, why you guys, where are you, why are you guys actually doing this film? You know, as opposed to somebody else. And I said, well, because we were there. You know, we were at the back room. We used to go to the back room. We know exactly what it was like. And I know exactly what we need to do as far as from a filmmaking standpoint to tell the story of it. And John Drew is the one that's making, helping me, you know, make the connections to make that happen. Adam's the one that's helping me find venues to shoot and helping coordinate other, you know, artists and staff. And so between us three, you know, we have the ability and we have the connections and the means to make this documentary happen. So that's why we're doing it, you know? So because we actually are passionate about it, not just film, not just the project, but the back room itself. Yeah, man, that, that right there in of itself, I think is probably one of the biggest uh, and most important aspects to any project. I mean, you've got, it got to be something you care about. You're passionate about something you really, a story you really want to tell. I mean, if you're just sort of like, a hired gun and you're like okay what's the deal with this place never heard of yeah. it da, da, da. you know i feel like yeah you could still make a great film as a professional i suppose but i mean it's just when there's an excitement and a passion about it to specifically tell the stories especially since it's something you personally lived and know well like i it just that's right off the bat it seems like and, really and good for like, the project you know right, off, right well away. what's what's funny is what's funny is that half our crew half our crew are younger kids they're you know they're in their 20s or, or early 30s and stuff so so they weren't around when the backroom was around or you know they weren't alive when the backroom was around and so they're learning as we do these shoots they're learning about the backroom mm-hmm. and they now tell us you know wow I've, I've now learned this and this and this and this and this so like and then just that's just them being at shoots you know right. Be, sitting in on interviews so it's working. In other words, it's working. Like they're actually learning stuff. You know what I mean? So they're actually learning stuff from Jason McMaster and they're actually learning, you know, stuff from these interviews that we're shooting. So it's not just fluff. It, it's actually like, they're actually learning something about a place, about an establishment that was here before them or they weren't here at the time, you know? And so that, that is a really great feeling when, when Adam and I and, and John, you go home and we talk to the crew later on, either online or, via text or however and and they say like man that was a really great shoot i really learned a lot about whatever about the background you know and i really learned a lot about the culture about the people about the or even sometimes it's, uh, i had no idea there were so many drugs there you know like it, it, it's all it's all encompassing and it's all uh, and it's it's a great thing the spotless immaculate bathrooms <laughs> yes the bathrooms you know it's it's one of those things where we're trying to like you know, we're trying to get photos of the back room uh, bathrooms, and we're trying to Dude. like tell people, "Hey, can anybody help us out?" And they're like, nobody had photos of the bathrooms. Come on, man. Am so- I am I wrong, or, or was there some point in time or something when the men's bathroom to that place? Uh, and I'll do everything I can to avoid, you know, shitting in public, like most 
sane people. Yeah, I would no assume. doors, no stalls for sure. <laughs> but like, but I there was no doors. Is that what you just said? No, yeah, yeah. no, no doors. doors. Like so, Vic. Right, uh, so remember the band Dave's not here, Vic. Yeah, probably because yeah. we, we used to play. Quarter Shack used to play with them, and and they were, you know, as we played, I think several shows at Backroom with them. But I remember yeah. Adam, their guitar player, one time. There was just a, a great story about someone walking in the bathroom, and he was just standing there at the stall, like standing up, you know, shitting because it's like no, no way, I'm sitting <laughs> no on the seats either. Toilet. There yeah, no seat. What the hell? Man? No. Yeah. <laughs> And the back room was also popular, and, and, and everybody remembers. If, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was the peach trough, the huge peach oh, trough yeah. that yep. that er, that they would just pour the buckets ice, of ice. ice at the the old of emos that. had that thing the steam, too. Ugh, the steam. I hate those things. <laughs> yeah, it was. And then every once in a while, there'd be that guy that just drank too much, and he would just fall into the fucking trough. Passed out in the trough. <laughs> Jesus and, H Christ! So they just piss around but, him. Yeah, <laughs> just wouldn't yeah. even wake him up. You know what, man? So, I, I just did this uh, this thing the other night um, and regretted it as I was doing it immediately because w- worse than our podcast, even I just said all kinds of horrible things that I that I should never divulge about things I've done in my past, like um, just drunk, stupid, drunk stories, going to jail, all kinds of shit like this. But mm-hmm. it it made me think like I've had some pretty fucked up moments, but I've never fallen asleep in a piss trough (laughs) wow you know like if there's ever a time to say like maybe i have a problem and i should stop drinking that's that's the moment that is the moment it's a good thing there wasn't uh iphones back then or anything like that oh man yeah and nobody was camera not too many people camera ready back then for that one of one of the questions that that i ask in the interviews and pretty much all the interviews is you know do do you think the back room would be around today if it had social media, you know, if it had the power of the internet or did it have its time and place? And, uh, you know, some musicians, some people, they respond with like, you know, yes, I think it could be around today because I think people would, you know, build a following behind it. And so, and then the other people are, you know, the other half are saying, you know, there's no way it, it, it had its time and place. It, it was its magical, magical time, you know, and, and I'm kind of glad that it was its own magical time because, and I'm glad that we didn't have cell phones because I don't want a lot of that documented, you know, of those days. I'm Seriously. glad that there's, there weren't cell phones because a lot of that shit I couldn't get away with now, you know? Isn't so, it interesting that it was only, I mean, only 15 years ago, right? Yeah. That it closed. So, I mean, it's yeah. not that, I mean, it is, but not really that long ago. And it, what a different world, though. You're right. Not, no one had a fucking iPhone back then. Yeah. I probably had. And we all had those little the shit Nokia's or yeah, whatever. The, yeah, right? I, don't, I don't think there's any cameras on the on the Nokia's, right? The no. flip phone was probably the first one that had the camera. Oh, dude, I used yeah, I used to get like a message of like someone would send me a picture and my whole phone would be full and I couldn't and none of my texts. <laughs> I would like have to del- delete pictures. You had to delete and all stuff, something like, just to see. It. I remember, I remember it being at lunch one time with a friend, right? And like I had just deleted a bunch of like pictures, and all of a sudden my phone like just started beeping and blowing up, and like I got like forty texts, and he was like, "Jesus Christ, dude! Like I'm the most popular person on the planet." I'm like, "Oh no, literally, this is like every." fucking text that has just been backed up for like two weeks because my phone couldn't receive didn't you have to pay extra for those two like texts and opening remember, them up man. oh yeah now all the roaming tra- yeah. all that shit back then that was all you're right yeah so oh, nobody would yeah. even open those or send them yeah yeah um and the quality was so bad you know yeah. of like photos it wasn't even worth sending dick pics back then uh <laughs> 
We actually get a lot of photos it's like an of eight people bit. that. <laughs> <laughs> Check out my eight bit dick. <laughs> That's our next documentary, eight bit dick. Yeah, baby. How do you like this uh, rectangle? We actually, <laughs> like the rectangle we actually get in my a lot pants. Of people that, uh, like, right, Adam, we get a lot of people that send in photos, like, from the disposable cameras. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, like we, we get people are, like, I've had people, one person sent me an actual disposable camera, like, and of course it was broken, and they were like, here you go, man, you can get all the photos off that. That's from that one show that I went to. Oh, like, God, wow. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to develop that. <laughs> but Kodak from 1990. That might be, like, some yeah. picture in there, though. You never know. Yeah, yeah, but like, it's like half backroom photos and half like weirdo. Yeah, bondage. pictures of his mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, dude! If, uh, if you guys make ever make a eight pick dick, uh, <laughs> eight let me know. Dick. I'll I'll want to be an investor in that one. That's, that's <laughs> it's the name of this short. episode. It's gonna be a short. <laughs> I didn't that, say base it be... on me. Come on now. <laughs> that should you should call this episode eight bit dick. <laughs> yeah, when I do the synopsis, slow. Uh, Three years from now, we talk about film, eight bit, eight bit dicks. Yeah, I'm glad I can contribute. Killers. Yeah, man. <laughs> You're like That's Vic, you just slide in yeah. with those real zingers. Yeah, we had a Vic had a, 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 an episode a little while, while back where I was like, uh, said so. What do you think, Vic? Close it out, and he like he gave us that that Jerry Springer final thought, and it was just like, <laughs> it was deep. We were all just like, wow, you know. <laughs> that, you and that's what you just too. did. It, we were all drunk, but that's what you just did here, Adam. You gave us that. Your, your. You know. I'm happy I could help. <laughs> <laughs> this is. I see why he's on the crew now. I see the value yeah. this guy brings. Hear me out, guys. What if we went eight bit on this? Has <laughs> <laughs> really unique ideas. What, so what about this guy's going uh, places? What about music? I mean, you said metal and punk. Adam, I guess maybe you're in the same vein. Or, or what's what are some of you guys' favorite hair metal favorite for bands? me started it for me because I was listening to all uh-huh. my sister's music. So I go into her room. So I'm listening to Skid Row and Pariah was one of the bands. Fuck yeah, dude! Dangerous Toys, one of the bands. Thirtieth year of slave. Thirty years. Slave to the grind. Slave to the grind. Today, yes, monkey yes. business. Yes, dude. My fiance posted a video of her playing bass. Of that song today, I'm very proud of her. In a weird, crazy way, like we met and had this bizarre Skid Row connection. Like she had a nose chain in, and I was just Ooh. like, I wish I could say it was at the back room, but I don't. I, she's one of those people that was probably like four years old. Tell but like I was like, I was like, whoa, what the fuck's going on here? I'm like, it, it, we started talking about Skid Row, and I'm like, you're kidding, because she's like, you know, younger than me. But I was like such a big Skid Row fan. Like when I started playing guitar in high school and stuff and like Slave the Grind was one of those big albums for me, like Appetite for Destruction and all that. It came out right there. I think that came out 90 or maybe 91 when all that great shit was happening, right? The 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 end of hair metal, uh, the beginning of grunge, all that. And, uh, and I was just like, I used to tell people, like, how random is this? Because people now, like, kids now probably wouldn't even know. But I was like, I told people, like, Rachel Bolin was my uncle. <laughs> so, that, so that was like that, the that joke. That earring it, from his, the nose to his, like, The nose ear? chain. And me and yes. my buddy Dave, we made these fake you little nose chains and wore them to high school. Every night. Oh, dude. Yeah, totally. Totally. But she just did, like, <laughs> yeah, she did a video where she's got a nose chain. By the way, like this is standard podcast. Like here we are talking about this, and then when this is finally out, people are like, "That was like four months ago when that when that was the 30th anniversary." <laughs> the vault opening, the vault. 
Yeah, dude, uh, Skid Row. But yeah, I know, dude. I, I bet I don't know all those bands. What are what are some others? Let's geek out on the on eighties rock. Well, Motley Crue for me for sure was one of my first shows, nineteen ninety, Frank Rowan Center. Um, I my sister again, right? She's when like, Vince Neil could sing. Yeah. Well, I don't think he ever could, right? But that's <laughs> he could at okay. least like make noise. I, su- like, I sung the songs for him, and you know, loud enough so I didn't even need to hear him. That's the thing, like, right? So. He's just like, hey, "This is Vince Neil at every show." You sing it. <laughs> <laughs> if they would have given me the mic, if I was close enough, I would have. You know? Oh, you could have had your Mark Wahlberg rock star moment, dude. Oh my god! <laughs> Stand up and shout for sure. Yeah, would have. Motley Crue, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was I was a big I was big into Megadeth and Metallica. Fuck yeah, dude! And Tool, I like Tool. You know, Adam's the biggest. You know, yeah, I'm a, a Tool, huge tool for fan sure. I'm a total Tool for Tool. You know, Tool yeah. for Tool. tool, for tool. <laughs> There's a lot of tools that yeah. go to the Tool shows. I could tell you that. I don't, I don't know if I'm one of them. I don't know if I'm one of them, but I could possibly be. <laughs> now you're not. It's only if you like play. I I don't know, and I don't want to like. Say because there's obviously like they're a great band and Metallica's a great band and and uh what's his name Dana Carey's a phenomenal drummer and Cliff Burton was so. a phenomenal band. but I've met there I met a lot of people over the years that are like oh yeah Tool Dana Carey specifically the drummer and then like with Metallica I'm no Cliff Burton but like this and then you meet and then they play and you're like wow you're definitely not Cliff Burton actually and you don't know how to tune your <laughs> instrument and you're terrible so please never <laughs> take that out of its case again <laughs> yeah but I've met a few people like that I finally saw Tool for the first time a few years ago at the Cedar Park whatever I was at that show uh, yeah fucking badass 2014 dude. so good yeah yeah yep. so good live I got stoned mm-hmm. as hell which made it even better because oh, when they came in did the, the laser set, the visual oh it's just fucking <laughs> crazy I, I feel I think Adam Jones does all that too right doesn't because he's a the film art. guy yes the an art. effects guy right yeah he did like Jurassic Park uh, Terminator 2 uh, stuff that's like that that's nuts that's un- that's unbelievable. What a what a career, man! I really, really briefly met that guy, and he was like super cool and nice too. He was actually literally like, "Oh, hey, I'm Adam," and I was like, "How cool is that?" He wasn't like, "I'm Adam Jones from Tool, <laughs> worship me." Yeah, he was like cool. Tool actually is in the documentary, not through an interview, but like uh, <laughs> we have footage. We have footage of Tool. They actually opened up for Rollins' band. Fucking a at Backroom. That's oh, damn. crazy. That's Backroom. It was like what ninety one. Oh yeah, my god, yeah, that's 90, amazing. Yeah, ninety one, eighty two, something like that. Was that yeah, was that like, undertow or was that pre undertow? Was that I think it was even? pre. Yeah, I think it was pre undertow. They just recorded it because Henry Rollins is on undertow, so that's when they oh, became, yeah. became yeah. Wow. friends. So it must oh, have been yeah, right yeah, when they started touring for that. That's and we have amazing. footage of we have footage of Henry Rollins out by the bus, and and then Rollins is like you know he talks to the camera he says his little Henry Rollins thing and then he motions away and then he walks away and then so he's walking towards the bus and then out of nowhere you see Mater kind of just jump into frame and like do a woo kind of crazy ass face and at the time <laughs> oh. people were like who is this fucking guy you know like <laughs> and it was get out of Henry Mater. Rollins frame you nobody loser who'll <laughs> yeah. never yeah, about exactly. anything. Fucking tool. Like, yep, that was, no, that, was that was tool. So. <laughs> wow, that's incredible, dude. I love that old school tool stuff too, man. I really love opiate and undertow. Like those are I still love some. Undertow. Yeah, dude. I remember when they came out and the whole the video for sober, and I was like, "Who the fuck are this? this is weird." I and love that video. Man. I do that's too. I love it. And then, I, and then I saw their album artwork, and I was just like, "And then Kurt, Whoa, and Kurt Cobain's weird." Like, that's just like some brothers Quay, you know. Because that's that's <laughs> apparently they ripped off Brothers Quay uh, for the videos for uh, Sober and uh, Prison Sex. I had never even seen anything like that before. Yeah. Wow. 
One one of my biggest influences that I didn't actually name. Uh, so yeah, you know, Scorsese, the big, you know, everybody like that. But one of my biggest, biggest influences, I can't believe I actually forgot him, is Samuel Bayer. And I don't know if you guys know who Samuel Bayer is, but he is a big time filmed uh, music video director from the 90s. Oh. So he did he did like uh, the Cranberry Zombie video. He did Until It Sleeps from Metallica. He did oh. Bullet with Butterfly Wings by uh, Smashing, you know, Smashing Pumpkins. Pumpkins. Yeah. So, yeah. So he did he did a whole slew of like uh, 90s and 2000s music videos that are just Marilyn Manson and you know he he was huge and i love love his stuff like he is one of those guys where man if if i got nothing going on on a friday night for some reason and i'm at home and for some reason my kids aren't home and my wife's not home i get stuck into a wormhole of watching 90s music videos yeah, that, yeah right? dude that was so you fun know? back in the day when when there was actually a music channel now you go down yeah. the youtube uh rabbit hole but but we actually got to see that stuff on the front end. it was like so exciting like just yeah. watching a show and all of a sudden that yeah, video comes on. Like, uh, I, I mean, there's tons of them we could talk about, but I, one I always loved was, uh, you, you cited some that are great that I love, but, uh, remember the nine inch nail? Well, not nine inch David Bowie with Trent Reznor. I'm afraid of Americans. I'm afraid of Americans. I, I'm afraid of America. Oh, that video <laughs> and that cover. And then, it was so badass. Was that the underworld dude. soundtrack? Was it on a, was that on a movie? Was it? It was just a single. Yeah. I thought it was a single. Like, I remember because, they would have, they they started kind of like uh, in the video like they like they everybody's like pointing like fake guns like finger guns to each other kind of yeah, thing yeah yeah and, yeah and and like David Bowie's running around scared and Trent Reznor's chasing him and just, I'm afraid of American you know it's like <laughs> so good oh I love it so I love good. it it's a great it's not I have so a, good. Oh, dude speaking of fucking VHS I have an old VHS tape somewhere where I had, I would just record, you know, so I have that video and like some Alice in Chains and just whatever, right? I just had all these Ozzy, No More Tears, shit like that. Oh, I love That was a good video, too. I love, that was one of, besides Megadeth Metallica, Ozzy was my another one of huge things. I mean, the No More Tears album, I've been on the hunt to find No More Tears on vinyl. Um, because it's not, it's, it's a really rare piece, you know, believe it or not, you know, no more tears on vinyl countdown to extinction from Megadeth is also a rare find on vinyl. Uh, I mean, you can find them for 300, 400 people or something for 300, 400 bucks, but speaking of iconic videos, hello me, you know, (laughs) (laughs) meet the real me, meet the the real expensive me, (laughs) meet the real expensive me. (laughs) Yeah. That that second Mars Volta album is really hard to find too. That's uh, another three hundred dollars. That actually Francis surprises me. I would. Are you talking about original? Not a, or like uh, not the because not I, like a not, first press. It seems but, like they would, but yeah. it seems like they would still be manufacturing. They they re, they repress like offs for the first yeah. Really? They repress. Huh. They did a repressing of the first one. The um, God, what is that one? That's the most popular one for sure. Yeah. The, the original, yeah. the first Megadeth album? Killing oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Mars first, Volta. Uh, Mars Volta. Oh, Mars Volta. I don't know. We Yeah, I can't find Francis the Mute. Anywhere. Yeah. You can't find that 24-minute yeah. song? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't make it through that. Hey, Vic, oh, the man. thing you would just sent me the other night, is it Draft Tongue Orchestra? Is that the one that has one of the dudes from Mars Fulton in it? Or am I wrong on that super? No, no. That one's got uh, one, of, uh, one of the guitar players from uh, Mastodon. Mastodon, and it's got William Duvall from Chains. And then I can't remember who the other dude was. But then the, the second one I sent you with... with um, 
William Duvall, they did Rusty the Rusty Cage cover, but that was a Charlie Benante thing. Just you know. Oh, that was a one off. That was a one off. But he had What's the other guitar other? player from uh, Mastodon. Mastodon, yeah. I, dude, spe- so Mastodon. I just recently. I have some of their older records, and I'd seen them and heard them and everything, but I recently just started really diving in, and, and I, I really liked some of their newer stuff where they started getting really melodic, and the, yeah. the drummer started saying, it was really great stuff. And holy fuck, dude, I think they've got some brilliant music videos, man. I don't know if you've seen many Mastodon music yeah, videos, but I, everyone I've seen, I'm like pretty impressed, man. They're pretty cool. Yeah. I would recommend checking them out. I was telling Boudreaux, I'm, pre- I'm busy watching Pluto these days. All I'm watching is old shit. I, don't, I can't. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't have the attention span yep. for anything new right now. I can't. My mind can't sink into anything and get stuck on anything. I'm, so I'm watching like Price is Right and fucking like uh, the Real World with Puck in it or something like that. <laughs> yeah, the, the Puck years. I do watch. I do like the old game. I love the old game shows. You know, when you, you guys were talking earlier about just you know seeing these horror movies when you were little kids. Like one of my uh, great memory for me was my grandmother loved horror movies that's awesome you know and she loved all the old school stuff and the bell of the ghost of dracula and all the old school oh, yeah you know? very cool and but i used to watch this kind of stuff like i remember staying with her part of one summer or something and we'd always watch remember that show tales from the dark side yeah yeah hell yeah that was, and that I, was george romero really i do i was like ter- there was this one particular episode and i was like so fucking terrified the entire night i like laid in bed like afraid like a creature was gonna come out of the closet like Tail, yeah, Tales dude. from the Dark Side and Kolshek, the Night Stalker. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Aaron McGavin. Yes, yeah. I don't know that. Yeah, yeah. That that that's even that's older than Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah, that's <laughs> but dude, Tales cool. from the Dark Side was great because they had a great intro. Like, yeah, Tales real spooky. Well, the dark side. The oh, creepy dude, music the best, in the background. The best I know, right? In the music, yeah. it, I think I think when you come to horror and back to unsolved mysteries. So Tales from yeah, the Dark Side, which I can't remember right off my, the, the top of my head. I mean, Tales from the Crypt wasn't really scary, but it was just wicked cool. Like that, Tales from the Crypt was such a great, funny, scary, and the music kicks ass. That whole intro, the music, the way they go down. I mean, dude, that is just brilliant. I mean, I think the the intro to that show, to to any of these shows, I think was so good, it sucked you in and made you want to watch the show. And those are all classic shows. But like, um, I'm glad they kind of kept the theme from Unsolved Mysteries, right? I mean, pretty much, you know, the kind of... But that old, I was watching a ton of those. I was in San Francisco uh, a, a few months ago and with my fiance, watched them, uh, and we watched several um, unsolved mysteries of the old ones. And it, it was weird because there was there there must have been a season in the middle where they changed the theme music, and then I, I can imagine like people were like, "Boo! Yes, what are you doing?" Like, from classic cook. Yeah, so, <laughs> and it's just all of a sudden it was just different. I was like, the "What flavor. the hell's going on?" Like, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It was just Something like bad not taste right in at your all. mouth for sure. And it wasn't like it was bad, but it just wasn't <laughs> as good. That. It wasn't as iconic. And I like unsolved mysteries in particular. That the music alone of that show when I was a kid was so it's terrifying, sinister. I would like yeah. get up and like see if the door was locked. I mean, it just like yeah. t- terrified me, but in an exciting kind of way. But yeah, shit like- yeah. So those old kind of shows and like ga- old '80s game shows, dude. I used to watch those. And have luck. you seen like Pressure Luck? Luck is Pressure back. Luck. I know it's fun. They're all back. back and it's They're all back. They can't leave awesome. the shit alone, man. The '80s and '90s. Well, dude, Card Sharks. <laughs> yeah, Card Sharks is another really good one. Uh, well, now they've got the like the rerunning the old Pressure Luck, which are fucking great. And there's the new one, which I think um, 
Uh, oh man, uh, what's she, her name? She's from uh, super hot chick. Mary and what's the does a porno? What's what's her name? I can't. Oh yeah, <laughs> Zach and Mary do a porno. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Elizabeth. Uh, yes, Banks. Yeah, Banks. Banks. There you Banks. Go. Nailed it. I always think of her in forty year old virgin. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and same with uh, dude. Another one. $25,000 pyramid or pyramid. whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that like, is that one of the ones that Michael Strayhorn hosts? Or, yeah, he's, he's, he's a football player. Yeah. He's in a yeah. bunch of shit. He's on like daytime. Well, he's not on the you know, daytime talk show. show. I think he does the games now. Good Morning America or some crap. But I, he might have done yeah. that I one too. I think Nickelodeon or, even did the Double Dare and stuff like that. They oh, wow. That yeah, back. Uh, yeah, so. my wife watches a uh, supermarket sweep. The, uh, the remake yes. of that. Oh, with uh, Leslie. What's her go name? Go for the meat. Leslie Jones. Go for the meat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, you gotta go. You gotta go get those turkeys and those garden hoses. That's your fucking diapers. Thing. You gotta get the diapers. Diapers. <laughs> get the diapers. I always thought that host was either just like the happiest no. dude in the world, or he was like gonna what? kill himself at any moment because it was just too much. Like. I've never seen a guy that excited about bad sweaters and groceries. Like. <laughs> that was a great show. I love that. It show. was a great show. show. Uh, dude, I've watched, all, especially last year, right? When we were all just sitting around. Yes. I watched so many like fucking game shows and just dumb <laughs> shit and Netflix documentaries and. Yeah, uh, weren't you watching Faces of Death the other day, Boudreaux? Because I remember those videos. I remember those, those. videos. I've never uh, watched. And they were like supposed to be legal or something. You know, we weren't supposed to be watching no, no, them. It was really so, morbid. It's supposed to be real. So I was, I was watching Faces of Death. I was doing a rewatch on it because uh, right, I just finished uh, a shoot. Uh, I was doing a music video for this uh, this band called The Immortals. And they're kind of like a horror punk band. And so they did a cover of Dead Man's Party. Love that song. And f- like, it's like a punk, hardcore punk version of Dead Man's Party. So I was like, hey, for the music video, I kind of want to do a house party crossed with images of faces of death. So that's what we did. And that's what we shot. And nice. so we kind of did. It we looks uh, amazing. We, yeah, I'm really happy that the crew over there. Actually, that I have a. The reason I'm so overdressed right now with all the, this jacking and stuff is I actually have a. I actually have a, a film screening I have to go to right after this with those guys for for another horror film I've been working on with them, and uh, they're really great. They it's called their their production company is called Horror Web Productions, and uh, they they do amazing work. And to they don't use like little Halloween makeup that you buy at Walgreens. Like they have effects and prosthetics and coagulated blood, and we actually like. For the video, one of my ideas was... I mean, you all seen Faces of Death, right? You yeah. guys? Yeah. Like, I like, know what it is. I, think, I don't know if I ever watched it, but... Yeah. Oh, well, no. like, the, the most... Pretty much the most famous scene out of that film is the monkey... The the monkey table dinner scene, right? So, and if you don't, if you don't know what that is... <laughs> Sorry. <yeah>. So, <laughs> so, what they do is, in, in, in the documentary, in Faces of Death, they actually go to India... Uh, and there's some American tourists there and for a fee, they can sit around a dinner table and there's a monkey that's locked by his head into the table. And for a fee, they have the pleasure of bashing the monkey's head in and then eating the brains as a delicacy kind of thing. It's all fake. It wasn't real. They used cauliflower for the brains. It was a fake <laughs> monkey. You know? so, but it was like Blair Witch of it, it its all, days. Everybody thought it was real. It was, it was, yeah, everybody thought it was real. That's so, a great example of a 
what an uh, amazing yeah great marketing uh, yeah yeah great marketing sorry go so ahead. like so what we did for the music video was i said well how about we recreate the famous monkey brain scene but instead of a monkey we'll use a random you know actor person and we'll you actually you know and you guys the the band will actually bash this guy's head in and oh that's and fucking amazing and stuff. please so, send the link uh, is that done or not it's in it's in production now. Okay, so cool. it's in it's in it's in editing. It's in post production now, rather. So, so uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of one of those things where you know we were getting blood all over ourselves because you know these guys and the whole their whole shtick is it's a lead singer, a girl lead singer who's like this big tall redhead witch, and the rest of the guys are like vampires. Um, so the whole gag is that these this witch and vampires are recreating the dinner table scene and they're banging this guy's head in and they eat the brains and stuff like that. And, but we had like blood flying everywhere. You know, we had, oh, this is something that I'm really proud of. Uh, one thing that I really wanted to do was I really want to have an autopsy scene, but I want, but I want the corpse on the autopsy table to be fresh. Like, like he had just been recently autopsied and I want him to be alive in the in the video in the music video so i want the band to kind of have like lab coats and kind of be mm. and the girl kind of singing as the autopsy is kind of going on kind of thing and through a couple connections we actually got a real autopsy autopsy table for the music video so there's a legit autopsy table that we got from the this one guy had it he got it from the austin state mental hospital oh wow and it was like the a legit metal autopsy table that we used for the shoot and this actor kid that we had laid down with like the y incision and laid down on the table without a shirt on and so i'm like holy shit this one brave kid <laughs> and you could see in the in the table like all the bins and compartments were like you know fluids would run to and where they wow. kept certain parts of you know and it was in our music video so like that's why i and adam can attest to this as well is like when it comes to this kind of stuff when it comes to production when it comes to film production it's, whether it be a music video or a commercial we don't half-ass it no, you know that, that's we, we really pride ourselves on that and, and and especially when it comes to the documentary so that's why you know we really we really put forth a lot of effort on every single shoot on every single edit whether it be a music video, a commercial, online thing, or live music performance. We've been doing a lot of those recently, where we've been shooting live musical performances. Uh, you know, so, you know, we're, we're really happy doing it. You know, we're really passionate about it. So. You're getting that? Is that me? Uh, yeah, I heard that. I don't know what it was. Mm, okay. It seemed like it subsided. There's a buzz in the air. There's a buzz in the air. Yeah. That's right, man. <laughs> this is electric. It's electric. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what you made me think of when you were talking about autopsies, and this is an interesting film reference, right? You guys know the old, the uh, that black and white, weird, creepy Roswell thing where they're like cutting open that alien, and it's like the hoax and all that. I always thought that that was such a if that being a hoax, what an amazing video! Whoever did that did a great job because it's creepy and weird, and you know, Wait, do, you, do you guys know who Stan Winston is? Hold on, a, maybe you're maybe you're uh, Boudreaux. Maybe that's you. It seems like when you started talking, you got uh, crackly. Hello, 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 hello. Yeah, a jiggle a wire. There. Maybe you got a wire that's just a, a dirty cable or some shit. Mm. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Uh, better. That, that's better. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Mm. Yeah. What were you saying? 
Well, Stan Winston is the guy that came up with like the Predator unif, like oh, the Predator yeah. outfit. Yeah, and he he did a lot of those. Like he did he did like the Harry and the Hendersons, and oh no, that's Rick Baker. But he 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 did a lot of huge like makeup effects in the late eighties, early nineties. They got him in that Alien and Autopsy show so that he could be like, I I've seen some makeup in my day. I've seen some effects. This this has to be real. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they, they got him to give a testimonial to say that that alien was real. <laughs> like he thought he thought it was not a hoax. He thought that was legit. I mean, it looks fucking amazing. I think I don't know if he got paid, paid to do that, that or what. Probably, Probably. He was yeah. he was I can't in it. To, imagine it was an actual real alien, but it looks no, great. It, it was it was fake. It was fake, but it was good. It was well done. Yeah. I remember I remember yeah. watching that live. Yeah. I remember watching that on TV. Like I think it was like a Thursday night on Fox, and then <laughs> don't miss Alien Autopsy this Thursday, dude. Spe- going speaking back to which this wasn't that long ago, but back to the eighties and the un- all that, there was a thing that they an infomercial they used to run all the time, and it lasted forever. And it was all this it would show like a guy astro projecting and weird grave, just all this kind of weird stuff. And it was like this Time magazine. So I can't remember what Time Life Books is that what it was? Yes. <laughs> Do you have one? I remember those fucking commercials, man. <laughs> Oh That's shit! That's oh, nice. Yes. Phantom encounters. Yeah. Oh my god, it's awesome. I got a fuck the Britannica. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nobody needs Haunt- that shit. You know? Hauntings. That's oh, Hauntings. those are awesome. I remember that shit. Oh, that's it. Stir- yeah, I remember seeing those. Oh, that god. image. Wow. I forgot all about those. That's awesome. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever actually books, man. met anybody that had those, no. but it's, that's pretty cool. That's the first. So, what for did me. you do? Get a subs- get a subscription to that or something, or how does how did that no, work? No, dude, I found those on Amazon. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> ordered it back a- in the eighties. Dad, I really want this. Oh, why did I have to show him? Why did I have to show him that horror movie when he was five? Now he's like <laughs> traumatized for life. Meanwhile, no, I mean, Adam, you're screaming in the bathtub, like yes, I traumatized myself. Red lighting. Yeah, don't leave me alone with my thoughts. <laughs> well, that goes for any of us. That's, well. that's the most dangerous thing you can do. Look at what happened to that Cecil Hotel girl. Jeez. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward can pause me? as we. Hello, hello. Can y'all hear me? Yeah, yes. you're you're good now. We don't hear crap. I love that arcade game you got back there, man. Mortal Kombat. Thank Is that you. two? It's one. It's one. Let me see. One, one two, two and three. Oh, oh. trilogy. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. One, two, and three. So. Yeah, we had to break that in when. Uh... Huh. Arcades used to be. I don't think arcades are a thing anymore. Uh, no, I'm not at all. Sure, they're not a thing anymore. But yeah, that was like a f- cool fucking. Well, 80s. besides pinballs and stuff like that. Pinballs, I guess. I always like pinball like machines. Yeah. Well, they had the arcade games there too, though. I mean, where did you even go to do that anymore? Right, like. What? I think Double Dave's has one. <laughs> well, uh, pinballs, the Simpsons. Pinballs. There's a, go to there's a place called pinballs. pinballs. Yeah. Is there really? Yeah. 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 They have all there's the arcade. Like half of them are arcade games, and half of them are pinball games. Hmm. Something like that. And you could drink and everything. It's great. <laughs> well, well, I the people if, they remember those games they are allowed, you know, they're the age to drink now. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a fun place to do an interview. You get all mad during we the We tried interview. to see if they actually had some of the games Trying from the back room game. there. Yeah, I, right? I, I that, looked into that to see if they had some of the old video game or uh, arcade games that that uh that was in the other side of the back room. And I haven't Did really got much information idea, out of um, that. You don't really you have no idea what happened to any of those? We try I tried. Uh, no one yeah. 
couldn't get much. A out lot of, of them, it. a lot of them get got taken. Uh, so the guy that owned the back room, his name's Ronnie Wark. He actually owns the warehouse now. Uh, <clears throat> or he still does. You know, he was the, he's also the same owner of, of the warehouse, and so he took a lot of those games and whatever he didn't sell for parts, he just took them in, into other businesses and whatever. So uh, he kind of just dissolved as much as he could. But a, a lot of the employees ended up taking yeah. a majority. Oh, that's cool. A majority of what was left. So, like, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, oh Adam, I'm we surprised should talk about Rick Ricochet. Goes, yeah, I'm surprised O'Shea didn't have one of those video so, games. So we, uh, so this one guy, his name, his name's Rick, and now he goes by Ricochet. Uh, and he he kept on getting trying to get a hold of us because he said, "Well, you guys need to come down and see my rock and roll museum." And so we were like, "Okay." And we finally, after a lot of coordination, we went to him and we went to his place down in South Austin and he had maybe like three, I want to say like maybe three carports. Yeah, three back rooms are connected that you had to go down hallways and it's like, oh my God. Yeah. And he, he like just had posters and, 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 uh, just gear music. Uh, like he had counters, like from like pawn shops that, that was just all filled with stuff. He had like Stevie Ray Vaughn's like Coke vials and yeah. he had like just t-shirts and, and like, uh, amps and, and mixers. Panties. And he, yeah, <laughs> panties. And so he actually had a lot of the gear from the back room. Yeah, and he wow. actually, now, now granted, his music collection was from all over the place, all over Austin, all over the world kind of thing. But he had a, like sections here and there that were dedicated specifically to the back room. And so he actually, while we were there, he actually, uh, he powered up one of the amps and he played Eruption by Van Halen. And he's like, I want to show you how guys, how loud it still is. And so he cranked <laughs> it up and, and I'm like, we can't use any of this. We don't have copyright. Yeah. But whatever, you know, go ahead. <laughs> Turn it up to 11, but, man. Yeah, it was it was kind of fun. It was it was weird to see, you know, it was exhilarating because I think that was one of those things that we went on a shoot to do that we weren't really knowing what to expect. Yeah. But it's right. perf it's perfect for a documentary because that's what people want to see is yeah. who who are these people that live like this and who are the people that are this still captivated by to keep all of this stuff from a place that's been closed for 15 years, you know, memorabilia and paraphernalia. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whatever he found in that speaker. Oh my God. Yeah. There's Uh, yeah. Yeah. Leftover vials. Yeah. Stuff. (laughs) He's got the trough urinal, but he's, it's a display case now. (laughs) That would have been cool with some fake ice in it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, a little slightly miscolored. It would have been great. Here, feel free to grab stuff out of there. Ah, we're, we're good. You know. <laughs> I don't want to mess anything I've got up. one of the stalls. Yeah. I'm t- I'm, there's some prizes down there. Believe, trust me. <laughs> a lot of history in that trough. Yeah. It was, it was a good, it, it was, that was one of those fun shoots that it was like I looked at Adam and, and I was just like, what did we get ourselves into? <laughs> like, like we're we're gonna get out of here alive. Yes, like, yes. Like, we'll be okay. Yeah. We'll we'll just go down that other staircase. Yeah, he's like, there's, go there's down that hallway. Down Take a left. I mean, it's back there. Just keep going to the left. Stay to the left, though. You know, that's kind of like <laughs> unsolved the, mystery yeah. music starts playing in your head. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sloth back there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm pretty sure he had the phone with the. I'm pretty sure he had the eight bit dick on there. <laughs> eight bit dick, and that landline, right? Yeah, on the landline. Oh man, who the fuck? Do you guys have a landline? Who the hell's used one? I don't think I've had a landline yes. since I moved to Austin. He was working half through Pertinos Electric, and a half he rigged it up himself, MacGyvered it to get like half. I don't know. It yeah. Yeah. Man. Oh, that's true because he didn't he didn't believe in cell phones or something like that. Oh right? wow. So he's a, just a true weirdo. Yeah, he had foil <laughs> yeah, I mean, on the antenna outside. You know. God bless those kind of people that do all that. Because I I I would be like a collector, but really I'm just a hoarder with mounds of trash. And if it's like, what was that really cool flyer from whatever? I'd be like, I don't know. I I don't treat anything with any sort of care or value whatsoever. Is is I'm just like, oh, where was that really cool memento? <laughs> it's in a drawer somewhere. I forgot about it. I don't know. I was eating off of it. It's over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, just dust the crumbs off of that old. That's I'm actually using the crumbs Steve off the table to the trash. <laughs> no reason I can't still use this Coke file. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's wild, dude. So. And and this guy found you guys. Did he just hear about the documentary and contact? Yeah, or what? he just wow. yeah he just heard about the documentary. And I think because we had interviewed one of we had actually interviewed one of the sound guys, uh, and his name's Phil. Phil. He goes by Phil the Pirate. And so I don't know if you remember him, but he he would dress like a pirate, like to run sound. Like really, because his, I remember a pirate band that used to play there called the yeah, jo- yeah, so Jolly, Jolly Rogers. Rogers. Jolly Rogers. So yeah, he was yeah. the, he was a singer of that band. Okay, so. Uh, I never knew he ran sound there. That's interesting. Yeah, he ran sound. At no the wonder they played there all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And wow. so we we interviewed him, and he was an entertaining. I mean, his interview was entertaining as shit. Yeah. yeah. And so, so Rick found out. Well, you guys interviewed <laughs> Phil the pirate. Why don't you come check out my rock and roll museum? So, um, but but you know, you know but he would also say he'd also tell us. Uh, now, now, don't, don't call. call. Like, I don't wake up till four o'clock in the afternoon. He said, you'd have, don't you call need to before call four, not after five or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I go to bed at three or four in the morning. So, you know, I'm a night creature. So that's how I function. He literally parties so, in the back room still. Yes, that's what he does. In he, the he's, back room he's of recreated his, house. his own back room. Exactly. Then he just goes and. Exactly. Till three o'clock till they kick him out or he kicks himself out, I guess. Kicks himself out, (laughs) drags himself to the next room. Passes out the trough. It's pretty (laughs) it's pretty Uh, uh, I bet he's one of those. We can make trough hammocks. Uh oh. Merch. Oh, there you go. Thinking trough hammocks. Is that something you guys think about too? Do you think about that kind of stuff? Really? Okay. Well, I do anyway. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, and then we do have a live show coming up. Um in July, what, what is it, Adam? July sixteenth, I, I believe so. Yes, July Friday, July sixteenth. We're actually getting a couple bands together to play a show at Come and Take It Live. Cool. Uh, and they're actually they're actually we're actually doing a free show, and because and we're we're going to be accepting donations for uh, you know all night long. We're actually going to have our first real wave of merch come in. Uh, so there's going to be a limited edition amount of merch, of film merch for Bloody and Bruised, and. Uh, you know, we're going to be accepting donations all, all night long so that all the donations taken will be going directly into the film to help fund the production of the film. Uh, and then we'll be doing a second show in September um, with a couple more bands. So a lot of these bands were bands that actually played at the back room. And so they're actually reuniting or playing again just for us. Do you do, this. Uh, do you already have those lineups? I'm curious. Uh, or is it like a secret thing? Or I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, I think the, that. The July show has 
Cactus Brigade, uh, Brutality Incorporated, oh, Trans yeah. Mountain, and Stone uh, Dakota. Stone Dakota. Yeah. Oh, wow. I hadn't heard that name in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Brutality. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then September, do you have a date for that one yet or not? September 20-something. I think it's 24 uh, or something like that. It's okay. it's late September. So I, I think it's it's a Friday night as well. So And so what we're doing is that we're actually going to have cameras there, and they're actually going to roll on some of these bands that ah, right. played. Yeah. Sure. And so my idea is that, you know, we're going to have a couple of these bands, and we're going to show people in the crowd and kind of getting back to, like, you know, getting back to normal. And, you know, all these, all these bands, bands that used to play the back room. Yeah. Vic you and know, I could stand there and, and drink, and that would simulate yeah, yeah. our, our role. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so, so, and and so, so my, my idea is that this will kind of be the end of the movie, you know? It'll okay, be the end yeah, of, you yeah. know, it'll be kind of like they've come full circle. They kind of worked their way up through the back room, told their story. And now this is the end where they're kind of all reuniting to do one last show. All-star, just all-star jam. Yeah. Yeah, that's killer. I got I to gotta put that date in my calendar, man. I'll be there. Come and take it, you said? Yeah. That, yeah. That's cool. Very cool. They'll be hosting yeah, most so. of the shows, correct, Boudreaux? Yeah. 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 I mean, so good place we, to do it. You got a good yeah. stage, good sound. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So we, we, we definitely have two shows for sure. Cool. Um, you know, and we'll probably, we might have a third one in January, I think. So, um, you know, a lot of people are, like I said, man, a lot of people are really excited to be part yeah. of this film. So we're really, uh, we're really hoping that, you know, especially in July, you know, it'll be our first one. So we're going to get a lot of good people out there to kind of help. Help, help help us fund this film because you know we're we're in the middle of trying to we're working with our other co-producer Tammy Moore who was actually a oh sure at the Tammy background. absolutely yeah. she was always so, on the scene back yeah so Tammy is one of the co-producers on our film okay so uh, so she's helping us from the back end so that we can get investors or rather co- contributors and get this film funded you know so that we can pay for the crews and the reenactments and editing and the legal and all that shit so well so you've got uh, producers and then I, mean, I don't know if there's executive people in an executive production capacity funding but when you did you do any kind of crowdfunding on the front end or is that where you're kind of at a point now where we're like hey we got to get some additional funds and and, and then no, that's no, why no. you're doing these deals or yeah, yeah we're, we're if we if we haven't done a legit crowdfunding online experience because we are doing these live shows so we're gonna do live show live show and then a possible third live show right but um but because we need to fund the actual the remaining shoots you know what i mean and finish the shoots um once we go into the post-production process and the edit process and the music rights and all that stuff that's when we'll need that i think that's when we'll actually do a legit you know crowdfunding either gotcha kickstarter indiegogo what have you so um that that's that at least that's the plan for now cool very cool man yeah well, hey, man, I'm stoked to uh, get out there. Vic, let's put that in the calendar, man. Yeah. Roll out to... Uh, we can go uh, pass out in the trough. Hmm. Pass out and come <laughs> and take a trough. Uh, we can take a trough. Yeah. With this we bring out. like a little mini well, version. Yeah, we should just take, our, take a trough. We, like, we really wanted to simulate. What, what was that? We might bring a like a little model. model. Like you're, yeah, scale model. To scale. Yeah. It only fits <laughs> one person. <laughs> Just travel around with your own personal urinal. Like it's the only way I'm comfortable. <laughs> Hell, if I could, I would. Rob and I had an idea one time. I mean, probably Rob's idea, but I mean, as big guys who you know clog toilets, um, put that out there. Like courtesy flush, bro. Dude, oh, even with a courtesy flush, I, yeah. I can clog the toilet with toilet paper for fuck's sake. I got to cl- flush the toilet 400 times when I go to the bathroom. It's ridiculous. But the 
then idea of having like a I think this is genius having a fucking you could just this could be a job, a job like Uber but it's like a dude just rolls around town with like a, a fucking porta potty oh, wow. kind of situation or I don't know I, I can't remember I'd have to I'd have to <laughs> revisit the notes but <laughs> that sounds like a million like, dollar idea right there man I really think so. I mean if you're at like you know you can have like you're at a bar and it's one of those emergency situations call somebody they roll up and you just go have a nice clean shit you know outside and the comfort of your own stall. None of this back room, no, no walls, you know, kind of no doors situation. Right. Um, <laughs> I think you're onto something. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of my app <laughs> I came up with. I almost forgot about it. There's a poop app where you can go to like all these places that have the best toilets. You know, there's oh, yeah. an app that tells <laughs> you where idea. to go take a shit. It, if you're downtown, idea. which one has the, has doors, which one has the stalls, you know, toilet seats, you know, all that. Damn, so we've ran into, I ran into so many places with curtains or whatever, no toilet seats, you know. <laughs> yeah. I remember sharing a warehouse. When I, I called it the crap app. It. That's what it was called. The crap app. The crap app. That's and brilliant. it was just going to be called crap. That's absolutely brilliant. Yes. <laughs> Man, we, 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 should, yeah. uh, we should all get together and just just powwow these these uh, these ideas. And uh, I think we would have some good ones at the end. Of we'll the night. have to start up some LLC <laughs> with you know some kind of innuendo <laughs> shit name. <laughs> Crap. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> crap. Crap the app. Crap this, app. With two this, What's up with this crap app? Oh, is it terrible? No, no. I'm trying to find it's out what it's shit right now. Like, I'm, I'm really <laughs> it's that would be the useful, thing, too, sir. right? If your app didn't work very well. Man, this app is so shitty. Literally. <laughs> There's another one I had. It was called Bosom Buddies, where you can actually, you know, instead of like Facebook, meet up with people that just want to have drinks, you know? And like, you know, if you didn't have the, the your partner in crime for the night, not like, you know, I don't know, maybe there's the Tinder and the dating apps, but it's more of a bosom buddy thing. And I guess it could lead to something else. Like a, a prostitution app, but with I an 80s know. TV it, show that was, that title. It wasn't better than my crap <laughs> app, obviously. <coughs> no, your crap app is yeah. funny. That's good stuff right there. I guarantee you, if if I actually bother going downtown these days, which I really prefer not to, uh if I was downtown, though, I would make sure that crap app was on my fucking phone. I'll tell you that much. Man. Uh, hey, we got a good look at the shirt right there, man. I gotta, I gotta get you one of these, one of these Zars shirts, dude. Uh, oh hell yeah! For uh, for that, that was some really cool. That, that's one of the things that people are doing now, right, Adam? That they they send us shirts and yep. we wear them on. Shoots I got it one right here because ah, yeah, there's Dave TV right, right there. there. So, oh, like, yeah, we sure. We uh we wear the shirts on on shoots after our interviews and we kind of like hey shout out to so and so for the shirt and stuff yeah they that help is, us nice. we help them that's you know it's kind of what we do cool let's let's talk I'll go steal some of their merch and send it huh. to you <laughs> yeah I'm all about that we're uh, cross promo- cross promoting crossing the streams you'll get, a, you'll, you'll get a box for me from like ten bands and be like Jesus Christ what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> I dig it I'm all about it. It's all, it's all networking, baby. All, it's all networking. Dude, everything is networking in this business, and I love the crossover between all these businesses. And that's uh, it's so cool doing this podcast and just, you know, you guys, an example, just with so many other people we've had on. It doesn't matter, filmmaker, musician, artist, whatever. Just, um, yeah, because it's all kind of, you're all sort of in the same, you know, working in the same type realm. And, and so much of that is just the networking, the promotion, and, and meeting people, right? Yes, for sure. And, and I think, and I think the important thing is that 
you know, we're all creators, you know, we're all just creating and we keep creating. And, you know, that's what I've always told. I I tell my interns, my students and, and coworkers and my crew, you know, that's what I tell them is that the important thing is that we just keep creating and we keep creating and keep creating because if not, you're going to get stale and that's the number one bad thing that we can do. So as long as we keep creating, we'll be, we'll be in a better world. I was going to make a reference as to a shitty movie to say that would be your staleness, but nothing came to mind, which is crazy because <laughs> there's a lot of movies I don't like. What's it? Before you go, what's what's a terrible movie? Oh, what's an example of a terrible like a, movie? Like that a, we, wait. a terrible that you love? Well, that's that's where it's hard, right? So shitty, it's good. Are, yeah, there's a lot of so those kind of movies. They all those great action, terrible, you know, <sighs> kung fu and all that. But what's what's just room, a movie that's just right? offensive? The room. Yeah, yeah room. Is, wait. wait. The room is a bad one, or oh, like legit- is that the one that got brought up, Vic? Someone was talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. It. Made a whole movie about it. Yeah, yeah. Tommy and there was a crossover between a guy in that movie and apparently what was a crowd completely crowdfunded uh, sequel to one of the worst movies ever made, which is actually like a bad, good Samurai Cop. But oh, Samurai, Samurai Cop, Cop. dude. dude. Okay, okay, let me tell you. I watched that with my fiance. We love bad movies, and we were like, "Wow, this is really bad." But but it was like manageable. Then we watched Samurai Cop Two, and it was upsetting. Like it was so bad. They made a sequel. It it almost made you like physically like it was like when I saw It's Pat back in the day, and you were just like, "Oh, like great as a as a five minute skit, not so much as an hour and a half movie," you know. And Samurai Cop, I love Samurai Cop. The first one's pretty good. Part two is it's. Dude, part two is so bizarre because it's just random as fuck. We were like, what in the hell is going on? Like, it's just, and then we realized at the end, there's all these names and we're like, oh my God, it was crowdfunded. And I bet you these people, they probably had like incentives were like, you could write a scene or some shit. I, I shit oh, you wow. not. I think that's what happened. And it is fucking it, horrible. It was like the tele- like telephone where the story just gets worse, you know, or as it goes along. Yeah. And it just doesn't make any sense. It's yeah, just it's out of. Like what in God's name's happening? Which one was worse, Samurai Cop Two or Jim Cotta? Sarah got really uh, upset with Jim Cotta. It didn't bother me <laughs> as much. I think Jim Samurai Cotta's Cop cool. Samurai Cop Two was was just on. Yeah, it was an two swords. There's always better than one. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, but here's the thing. Even with Jim Cotta being a terrible movie, you have a guy that fights an entire army of homeless zombies or whatever the hell from a pummel horse. <laughs> You know, you got to give that some credit. <laughs> what what motherfucker sat around and said, all right, there's a gymnast who's going to have to learn karate and save the world. Like, this is what some, somebody woke up with, with that gymnastics. idea. <laughs> yeah, it's going to like save the world fighting with like kung fu gymnastics. And that became a th- the impressive part is it actually became a thing. Somebody like, green lit that. <laughs> yeah, like that's cool. that's that's that's. that's you kind of got to give some credit, really. We, when something one, that horrible happens, it's like, well, they went through. We have one guy on our crew, and he hasn't. He's usually been working a lot lately, like at his regular bartending job. But uh, his name's Andrew Forbes, and he's one of my creative directors for Penny Rock. And he loves watching bad movies like this. And he would, dude, you can make a whole podcast with him just based on Damn. that subject alone. You should get like, this guy could, on. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he would. Yeah. He would be excellent for that because you, he knows all of them. Jim Cotta, you know, American Ninja. <laughs> I love you know, American Ninja. American Ninja. Best <laughs> of the best. Oh, any Van Damme oh, yeah. movie. Oh yeah. Best oh yeah. Van Damme. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, you talk about any Van Damme. I'm like, he knows. He's like, 
You know, you know how Tarantino's like the encyclopedia of films, like Andrew Forbes, my buddy Andrew Forbes, our Andrew, our buddy, he's like the encyclopedia of bad films like that. I mean, he knows all of them. The Adventures of Remo Williams. Yeah. Yeah. I love that movie. All of them. <laughs> Street yeah. Fighter. Oh, God. I, was it like oh, coming with Dolph Lundgren? Yeah. Oh, Dolph yeah. Lundgren, anything, anything, anything with Dolph Lundgren is usually gold, too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, He'll text me in the middle of the night saying, oh, Showdown in Little Tokyo. This. Remember that one? <laughs> God. Brandon Lee. Yes. Yeah. Tia Carrere. Yeah. Oh. That's what I remember out of it. <laughs> we, we, Vic, I think, had sent me a link of some Steven Seagal stuff. These guys, and, and so we went and watched a couple of these, like these the more modern Steven, Steven Seagal, Seagal yeah. which are hilarious because he looks like Wilford Brimley. And, and these guys were just, I, and well, there's this one where they were just talking about how he doesn't get out of his seat for the whole movie. And it's literally true. He just sits in a seat with a machine gun, full on gear. And another guy's like dying. He's like, help's coming soon. You know, in the, in the Steven Seagal like, voice. Yeah, and then he like walks outside. The funniest part was toward the end of the movie was I thought was really funny is like, and 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 then they were like, whatever that YouTube link was that you sent Vic was really funny because these guys were just doing commentary on on all these different clips of movies. It's fucking oh, hilarious. Yeah. Like one's called the Asian Connection. He's like studying, you know, teaching martial art. I don't even remember that one, but this other one they it was Sniper Ops something or other. Sniper Special and Ops, I think. Sniper right? Special Ops, right? And there's this part where, like, for some reason, like, and they're, and oh, they were talking about how, like, yeah, ever since he did Glimmer Man, he, you know, he's just talks like a black guy. Yeah. And there's this part where, like, someone says something, like, uh, ask him something. He goes, it's over there. And you're like, what? That's not Steven Paul's voice. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't stop saying over that for like, two Schwarzenegger. weeks. It's, it's just, oh, dude. Sh- oh. Yeah, but Schwarzenegger, like, like Commando, it's like one of the I greatest movies Com- ever. Commando, it's amazing. Commando. It's just incredible, man. Yeah, an Commando. action movie that has steel drums. Come on, <laughs> like has a soundtrack. Uh, oh, soundtrack. It's beautiful soundtrack. Well, you guys are film guys. You know about sound. Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk. That is one of the weirdest soundtracks ever, right? Ooh. Because apparently, someone was. T- no, that's Matthew no. Broderick. Strangely oh. enough, Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer and I forget the other guy. Michelle but Pfeiffer, the dude from Blade Runner, right? Was the bad guy. But yeah, it's Rutger like these Howard. medieval like knights in shining armor, medieval time fights with like synth pop '80s music. It's really weird. <laughs> it's just uh, doesn't seem fitting. Dude, yeah, you you guys need to get Andrew Forbes on here. Oh, dude, whole, he'll talk two hours straight about all these movies. Like he's he's great at this. Down, down. Guys, thanks so much that for joining fun. us, man. This was really fun. Really, yeah. Enjoyable. Thank you yeah, so man. much thanks for having us. And yeah, Boudreaux. Yeah. So Adam uh, Salinas. I'm assuming I'm getting yes, her name you got correct. it correct. Uh, Boudreaux. <laughs> how do you Spanish actually say your last off. name? Partida. <laughs> yeah, Partida. Partida? Okay, yeah. cool. So Adam Salinas, Boudreaux Partida. Here on account of John Ju, who I thought we were having, but um, well, he said something about a group. So I'm glad you guys were able to pop on here. And um, yeah, we'll. Uh, Hopefully see you at the show in July and actually even have the pod. I don't know, Vic. We may, that might be pushing it. We're a good two months behind <laughs> on everything. I'm hitting up people that we interviewed in like 1975. Like, hey, our podcast is ready. Can you send us a photo? <laughs> <laughs> cool. Beautiful. All right, guys. All right. Check them out. One more time. Penny Rock, uh, Penny Rock Productions. Yeah. yeah uh, PennyRockProductions.com. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Bloody Bruised Backroom. Awesome. Cool, man. Very cool, cool. deal. Thanks Great a lot, chat guys. You guys. Appreciate it. All right. Hang tight. So we make sure this uploads. Once again, the Skunk Manhattan, Victor Ramos, and something. Who cares? Bye. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> <laughs>
The Ramones, Motorhead, Dynamite Boy, Rillin' Kids, Near Dark, Marilyn Manson, Tool, Pearl Jam, Born to Lose, Pantera, Typo Negative, Pariah, Unloco, Dangerous Toys. You just never know who you were gonna see there. A certain club called The Back Room uh, for th almost 30 years. And what we've been asking people to call in for is a back room story. If you're not familiar with The Back Room, then just go ahead and hang up. Back Room was a music venue that survived miraculously for more than 30 years. You walk in that front door and you had the split. If you went over to the left, you could go have some drinks and play some video games or pool. If you went to the right, that was the live music side. It was basically known as a hard rock heavy metal place in like the 80s and 90s. The place looked and smelled like we did. It constantly smelled like bleach. Hot dogs and old beer. Piss, cigarettes, and vomit. You can imagine putting all that in a cup and going, oof. That's the smell of the back room. CBGBs and brownies and stuff in New York. It was our sunset strip of Austin. The back room was all of that wrapped in one venue. Everybody else has that same thing that I want, the fucking rock. So got back room, I heard we sound better. Literally carried the rock and roll scene for all of Austin. I have to say that we have a lot of good talent happening out there right now. They did country at one point. We had a play set of 125 songs. They've done hip hop. Two live crew show brought in a whole different audience. They weren't afraid of anything. If you can do a Pantera show, you're gonna survive a Public Enemy show. Best sounding club in town, period. The kick drum busting you in the back and coming through your body and hitting the people in front of you in the face. Every show I saw there was, I was deaf. Your balls would be like. It also had super cheap drinks. Got 10 cent drink nights on Friday nights. Oh, have you ever played at the back room? Oh yeah, the pole. There's a fucking pole in the middle of the fucking stage. One time we had to Vaseline it. Whenever the asteroid hits Earth, there's gonna be that goddamn pole floating around there. And then the bathrooms. Oh, the bathrooms. This place is gross. But it was home. <laughs> Jason McMaster's from the Dangerous Toys. Jason McMaster really had the rock and roll game down. What are you gonna call your band? He says, Dangerous Toys and click. They were on MTV and they were on the radio. Jason McMaster and Mark Geary from the band Dangerous Toys. When I first moved to town, I kept hearing about the band Pariah. Pariah. We got signed at the back room. That was a band that could have, should have, and would have, and they didn't. And it wasn't their fault. Sims passed away, complete and utter shock. That was crushing. He was more of a friend than a GM. He wanted to help bands. There was a lot of drugs. A lot of drugs. If a Motley Crue video could be real life, that's what the bathroom was like. I remember a gunshot going off. The guy shot into the ceiling like two to four times. Lots of people went to jail that night. This guy comes up to try to get in the lighting booth, and I had a toolbox there. It didn't bite the head. It was just chaos. Welcome to the back room. And I look over and I'm like, it's Tom Morea, dude. And I got to sit next to Lemmy and watch him play these video games. The same amount of people that were at the fucking back room were in my fucking living room. Peter walks over to the mic. Shut the fuck up. Once again, putting the back room on the map. And if it wasn't for the back room, I'm not sure where my career would be. That's what the back room was. It was like a dirty little girlfriend that your dad secretly wanted to be with, as your mom just called her that white puta. That's what the back room is, cochino. <laughs> All right, that's a big old cut.